is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey everybody, good afternoon and welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily for a Wednesday here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm Andrew Patterson along with the CTO, Michael Remus, and I've got a great show today, lots to get to. Uh, of course, since we uh, did our regular program yesterday, uh, we did hear from Kevin Sheveldayoff and True North Chairman Mark Chipman yesterday in about a 70-minute press conference. If you missed it, um, you can go to our YouTube channel. If you're listening on the podcast, it is there in its entirety um, for you to uh, consume and and make your own decisions. Of course, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the game last night. Uh, Jets getting a, a big two points in the division against the Dallas Stars, although one that probably would have preferred to take care of in regulation. Um, but I'll tell you what, the OT, for those that were in the building, very exciting overtime, dominated by the Winnipeg Jets, and Eric Comrie coming up big in the shootout. And two of the, uh, as Remo said on Twitter last night, the nastiest shootout goals you will see Kyle Connor and Mike Sh- Mark Shifley getting the job done last night. So we'll get to all of that. We're also going to have Greg Wyshynski on the show. I mean, I'll get Greg's take on uh, what's happened in and around the Hawks, the aftermath of it, yesterday's press conference. We'll also talk about a number of the big stories in the National Hockey League, including a potential Jack Eichel trade. Are the Coyotes the worst team of all time? Um, as well as I'm interested in his perspective on some of the empty seats we've seen in buildings uh, around the league, especially in some spots that essentially had been sold out forever, like Toronto, Ontario. So Greg Wyshynski's coming up. And then we'll get back to the Winnipeg Jets focus with Murat Atesh of The Athletic. Certainly we'll get Murat's take on what we heard and uh, from his perspective, what heard and didn't hear yesterday. Uh, and then we'll talk more about the game as well as the team who had an off day today, getting back on the practice ice tomorrow before hosting back-to-back home games Friday night against the Chicago Blackhawks of all teams and on Saturday against the New York Islanders. As always, as we get going, I want to give a big shout-out to the sponsors that make Winnipeg Sports Talk happen, including Culligan Water, Royal Sports, Manitoba Battery, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, Little Brown Jug Brewing, Not Auto Corp, Canadian Club, and the Nick and Nikki DQ Group, and of course our betting partner over at Cool Bet Canada. Let's get things going. Let's get Remus in here. And I'll welcome everybody in to the YouTube chat who's right here, bright and early, ready for the start of the show. Remo, what's good? How you doing, man? I'm in a great mood, Hustler. I was, you know, it was a great game last night. It was very exciting. And I got to be honest, I was pretty disappointed with the Jets' third period. Um, you know, you have a 3-1 lead against Dallas, who we heard from Gavin Spittle yesterday, has so much trouble scoring and generating offense. But then we retreated to that overtime where... I mean, the Jets didn't score, but completely dominated. And the shootout um, with two of the nicer shootout goals in one shootout that the Jets have ever scored. I, I mean, I have that's. I mean, I have no idea if that's true or not. I don't have the analytics on niceness of uh, shootout goals in the past. But I mean, the Connor <laughs> goal is like the Vince McMahon uh, gift. You're like, oh, and then the Shifley goal, <laughs> the Shifley goal, you're like, oh, <laughs> like for the winner. <laughs> Returning or returning, you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. You know about. the gift? Oh, that's a great, yeah. that is a, so, that is awesome. I'm, I gotta say, I'm convinced that the Jets, they're all they're concerned about is putting on a quality entertainment product. And it's not exciting if you just win, get a three win lead and hold it in the third period. You gotta have some sus- suspense, gotta have some excitement. And uh, the overtime period, I saw someone commenting on um, Connor's shift where. 
you know, he shot it wide, but if you're going to shoot it wide around the net, you got to hustle your ass back and retrieve that puck. And watching him fly around the ice was awesome. It was one of the great overtime shifts yeah. I've ever seen. Jo- and uh, It jo- honestly was. Yeah, Josh Morrissey, um, he almost put one in in overtime as well, had a goal. I mean, talk about Josh Morrissey. I tweeted this. I mean, his slap shot, and I commented this in the preseason, his one-timer. It's looking like most improved one-timer in the league. I mean, I haven't seen all of them in the league, but... I mean, he wasn't really a threat last year on the power play, and he's got three goals this year. He had four all of last season. <laughs> I think he's among the def- the leaders with defensemen and power play goals. So um, really adding another dimension to his game, which was definitely needed. So I'm I'm in a great mood. That was a great that was a great game, and I don't I, I don't care anymore that they blew that third period lead. It was too exciting. <laughs> um, you know, I'm in a good mood too. Yesterday was a little bit of a somber day, and I'm going to get yes. to that in, in a minute. Getting into uh, into the game and the experience in the building last night, um, but I do want to just start off talking about what you know happened yesterday at 4 p.m. And again, I mentioned if you have not seen it or heard it for yourself, um, I'd suggest you know just going to our YouTube page, clicking back to uh, yesterday. Um, and seeing and hearing it for yourself. Um, this goes back to last week. Um, you know, we had I had said on this program a number of times that I think that, you know, the statements from lawyers wasn't going to cut it with a big percentage or a big portion of the stakeholders of, uh, of the Winnipeg Jets, and that includes their fans, their sponsors, and more. And there were going to need to be some answers. Um, and you know what? Kevin Sheveldayoff and Mark Chipman uh, met the media yesterday. <clears throat> um I had said this, and I mean, I've got a personal experience working, um, you know, with Mark for a number of years back in the Manitoba Moose days. Um, And I said, I think pretty clearly that um, I know he to be a man of incredible principle and character. And um, from my own personal opinion, I did not think that there was any possibility that Kevin Sheveldayoff would maintain his job if he hadn't been completely honest with the Winnipeg Jets and with Mark and with the National Hockey League. And I can tell you, just knowing Mark and the way he's run his business, and certainly when I was working there, there would have been absolutely no wiggle room um, for the ability to uh, maybe play loose, fast and loose with the truth when it came to something like this. Um, so I was expecting to see, um, you know, some emotion yesterday, which we certainly did. Um, and I expected to see some, you know, some honesty. Now, again, I'm not going to make anyone's mind up for them. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, and we were seeing in the chat as things were going on, I don't think people were listening very close. There were a lot of people. Uh, there were some people that, you know, no matter what they heard, um, they had no issue with anything that had happened. And there were others that had, you know, hardened feathered Chevy and said that he was guilty and should never be uh, able to work again and uh, was part of it. Um, you know, I, I, I can't, and I'm not here to tell you what to think. All I can tell you is that I thought that the uh, I thought that it was sincere. I thought there were a number of the things that I think people needed to hear, which was some true empathy um, to say that they were sorry for any role that you know was able to allow this to happen, as well as the inaction of it. Um, but I really do believe, and I said this a few days ago, the absolutely easiest thing for all parties involved was to cut Chevin, Kevin Chevrolet off loose. So. Um, the fact of the matter is that they believe Kevin Sheveldayoff. The National Hockey League is, believes Kevin Sheveldayoff. You may not, um, and you know can ju- govern yourselves accordingly. Uh, but compared to, I think a Gary Bettman pre- press conference the day before, which I think at times was tone deaf and certainly didn't hit a lot of the things that I think so many people 
that care about these games, these teams uh, wanted to hear. Um, I think the Winnipeg Jets did that yesterday. And the one thing I'll say about Mark Chipman um, that was very important, that this is not something that Kevin Sheveldayoff was able to do, but you know, as a, as the leader of this organization that is so important in our city, um, you know, that has done a lot in the community, they pledging to be a leader going forward and, and, and acknowledging that there are systematic changes that need to be made in hockey. Um, I think give me some optimism that, you know, we've got someone that has incredible power in the National Hockey League publicly committing to go forward and do that. And I think you look at their track record of those sort of things. And, you know, Project 11 was uh, was cited yesterday, um, you know, with how they have turned that and really made a difference in so many people's lives in the memory of Rick Rippon. Um, and I personally, myself, have a lot of confidence that there will be some positives that come out of it. And I think the Winnipeg Jets will be leading the charge. So, um, as I said, I think that if you uh, if you're wondering about it or you've got takes, just watch it and and decide for yourself. And there'll be some people that it's not good enough for, and they won't want to support the team. I mean, you know what? That's uh, it's a free country. You've got to do what you got to do. But uh, I will say this, Reem, uh, that coming off of that, I mean, no one felt good afterwards. I mean, I think a lot of people heard what they wanted to hear uh, or didn't. Um, but going into the building last night. I got to tell you, there was uh, you could still sort of feel it. And I think Winnipeg Jet fans were feeling it as well. And, you know, the team got on the ice and, you know, played well and had a, you know, it was a fun, exciting hockey game. Uh, but there was no doubt that this story was still kind of hanging around the building last night. Uh, it was a more melancholy anthem last night. And a lot of people were asking about the True North chant. Yeah, there was, it certainly was there. Um, I, I think the tone of the anthem being turned down a little bit um, certainly maybe contributed to a far less raucous one than normal. Um, but to be honest at that time, I think, you know, maybe some people didn't feel that that would have been, uh, that would have been appropriate. All I can tell you is that, um, you know, the Winnipeg Jets are pledging to move forward, pledging to be difference makers. I think Mark Chipman has proven that he's an incredible, um, you know, member of our community, a man of principle and character. Um, and I personally have a lot of confidence that, you know, he will go forward and live up to some of the things that were said yesterday. Um, but again, you know, people are going to have their own opinions on it. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. The opinions are all welcome here. But I am looking forward to talking more about what happened on the ice, looking ahead to this road trip. Although we certainly will get reaction to uh, from both Greg Wyshynski and Ron Atesh from what we heard yesterday off the ice, as well as what we uh, saw on the ice. Uh, Reem, I know you don't want to get too much into it, but interested in your thoughts on what you saw yesterday afternoon. Yeah, I agree. I think you saw emotion, you saw empathy, you saw an apology. I thought they handled it very well, and I think they did vow to make changes going forward. And Mark Chipman's pretty influential person. He's on, what, the NHL's Board of Governors. And, um, you know, I thought a lot of the questions, maybe, you know, they're, they've been saying he didn't have all the information. I think a lot of the questions were questioning if he if what he's saying was actually... Uh, true or not, and I think you can make, you know, people have made up their own minds um, either way, but I thought it was well done, especially when compared to, as you mentioned, uh, the commissioner's uh, press conference, and we'll just have to see what happens going forward, and if they stay uh, true to their word, and you mentioned something like um, Project 11, which, um, you know, Mark Chipman got pretty emotional over during the uh, during his answer when referencing that, but um, they seem to, you know, have upheld uh, their end of the bargain there. So, I mean, we'll see going how it goes going forward. Interesting that you note that it was a bit of, a, as you said, somber tone in the building. 
uh, heading into the game. Well, and, and you know what, even, you know, in between periods, I mean, uh, you know, I was up there in the three hundreds, I saw a bunch of people that, you know, good friends and, uh, and ask me how things are going. And you could just tell, I mean, this was weighing heavily on a lot of people. Um, and, and I think it continue, it will continue to be for a, a while. I mean, this story is front and center and here's the thing. It can't just disappear. Um, you know, I'll give request in particular, a lot of credit because the incredible, you know, investigative journalism that he's done has brought this to the forefront and it's important. Um, this can happen in our game and it can happen at any level. And, um, you know, I, I do think that the work of Rick and a number of the others that have been on this story is going to um, force some positive change, which absolutely needs to happen because we should be spending a full two hours on this program talking about all the ridiculous things people want to bitch about and chat on the lines and whatnot and what yeah. happened in the game last night. That's what sports talk is all about. But, um, you know, at such a crucial time with such an important issue, um, that has impacted so many, um, and I'm not referring specifically to the Kyle Beach incident, but sexual abuse and assault in general. Um, you know, there, there, there has to be positives that come out of it, and there, there has to be change that was committed to yesterday, and I think that was something that a lot of people heard to as well. Um, you know, everyone can choose to believe what they want. I mean, I have been pretty clear. Um, I believe Kevin Chevaldeoff in that. You know, I think that if there was any reason not to, we wouldn't be having this conversation and he wouldn't have a job right now. Um, but I also understand that the media, um, you know, and some in particular need to ask those hard questions and challenge some of the things that we've heard. Because to be honest, if you go back over the course of um, time in history, the truth hasn't always been uh, out front. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of talk about trust. I personally have a lot of trust in Mark Chipman as the guy that, you know, he mentioned it's been his life work to life's work to build this organization and this hockey club um, and having worked for him before. I mean, I, I, I personally know how he treats people, what he expects of people. And um, if that trust is broken, it's not happening. And if he did not trust Kevin Sheveldayoff, um, they wouldn't have had that press conference yesterday and there'd be a new general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. So sort of leave that at that uh, or there. We will talk, uh, we'll get Greg Wyshynski's uh, reaction to what we saw yesterday and everything that's happened around the, the the league this week, as well as Murat Atesh when he joins us a little bit later on in the program. Um, but Remo, back to the game last night. You know, I mentioned there was a few things that had happened that were, um, you know, there was just a bit of a mood. And it was a, you know, Tuesday night, early in the season. Um, they did, though, I, a couple things of note, in addition to, um, you know, some interesting goals that happened during the game and those incredible winners, uh, goals by the Jets in the shootout. Um, your boy, uh, your boy Cameron Cheers was in the uh, was in the building last night. I'm a big fan of uh, Cameron Cheers on Twitter. Cameron Hughes, the professional fan. He goes from arena to arena. They didn't show it on TV, but I just saw it on Twitter. I'll tell you, I first saw him. It was in 2006. I was at an L.A. Kings game. And he did that thing where he wore like a million t-shirts and just kept taking them off. And you're like, is this guy really going to take his shirt off? And he's got like another one under. You're like, how many shirts does he have under there? And and this was, this was a, you know, 14, 15 years ago um, now. And he's still doing it. I mean, he's got a book out. We had him on. Uh, he was at the Wheat Kings game pumping everyone up. I, I think he's great. So uh, I enjoyed seeing it on Twitter. It wasn't on, uh, on the game broadcast. You told me. You were asking me. I was like, actually, it wasn't, but I saw it on his uh, his Twitter. So, Oh, I, yeah, yeah. No, he did the full T-shirt thing. He had all mm -hmm. these Fueled by Passion shirts, and he started off with the thing, and he had the mask on, and 
I said to, I was with our old pal Ryan Brandt at, at the game, and I said, RP, I think that's Cameron Cheers. Yeah. And sure enough, he started dancing. And, you know, if you've seen his act, I mean, you pretty much knew what it was. And, and honestly, uh, I'm not sure whether this was probably good fortune if he was already doing a gig with the Wheaties being at the uh, the arena last night. Um, but just considering everything that happened, it was sort of nice to, you know, get a little bit of extra energy in the building because I think the fan base was dragging it a little bit coming in. And, and as we mentioned before, I think we, uh, I think we definitely know why say this about the game though, Reem. um, you know, we kind of mentioned the, the blown third period lead, the overtime, the win in the shootout, um, a couple things coming out of that game last night in that, um, it was interesting to hear Paul Maurice talk about both the power play and how we really do have two groups right now that mm -hmm. are essentially exactly what we talked about earlier this week, getting to the point where it really is a competition between two relatively equal units. Um, you know, it'll be a challenge as to who gets, you know, tapped on the shoulder first. Coach talked about, you know, success in, in practice for the cop group last, kind of gave them the first hit. But um, we're getting to a point where you've got a pretty even couple of power play units. Uh, you know, until things change. And those three lines, um, I got to tell you, I love the way the, the Jets looked last night. And what I think is the biggest key when you go to the game sheet afterwards and look at the ice, the time on ice for players, Cops at 21, Wheeler's at 1940, Ehlers 2120, Shifley 2112, Dubois 2024, Kyle Connor 2251, you know, overtime would change that, but essentially a very, very similar number for all three of those lines. And I, I think we'd have to go back a long, long time to see as even ice time distribution amongst the top nine of the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, in a long season, I think that is a very interesting wrinkle that we've seen now in this roster. And I'm not sure whether we get to this point if Shifley and Wheeler don't miss a number of games. Um, but that's where we are last night, and uh, I'll be interested to see how long this can continue and, you know, the competition between each of those three units to try to maybe squeeze out a couple more minutes from the coach. Competition is good. Yes, I, I was a big fan of this, uh, you know, balanced lines where you have the pairs Dubois, Connor. Um, they, you know, I think they had a bit of a rough go in terms of shot attempts against. However, you know, Dubois to get on the board. And they were Ehlers, Cop with Stasny, and then Shifley, Wheeler, which seemed to be attached. And, you know, I had people text me, why why isn't Connor on the first power play? I'm like, guys, I don't know if they have a first power play. I think Maybe they got, he is. Yeah, maybe he, well, <laughs> I mean, the Shifley, um, Wheeler unit was going up, but they scored, they scored two goals. They were two for four. So, like, why? Morrissey's got, apparently got this awesome one-timer now, <laughs> and Connor's on, this, on the other unit. I mean, they had the units before without Shifley, Wheeler. And I thought the Pionk, Ehlers, Connor with Kopp and Stasi, they were doing great. So you put Shafley and Wheeler with the other unit, put them with Morsi and Schmidt and Dubois. And I think you got two two awesome units. So the Ehlers unit, I mean, they outscored the Shafley Wheeler unit last year in terms of uh, you know per, you know goals per sixty. So we'll wait and see. But I think this is great. You know, you talk about eleven and and seven and how stupid you you may or may not think this is. Well, the one benefit of it, you're seeing your top guys get more ice time. You know, you're, the, the Jets never played a fourth line anyways, very rarely. So why not try it out? See if you can shuffle in, you know, an extra shift here or there for all your top guys. I mean, Ehlers is um, getting his, what, more minutes. I saw Billick tweeting that out. 
and you can do that with the, you know with the two guys. I do think having seven D is kind of wonky. I mean, maybe eventually you have call up Gus and have him as like a penalty killing. But I think getting if you can find a way to get your forwards more ice time, like we've been running this so long, Huss. Like okay, yeah. your top your top forward gets gets twenty two minutes a night, or twenty you know twenty minutes a night. I mean, why can't a forward play twenty five minutes a night, twenty seven minutes a night? Like, why don't we try that out? See how, see how that goes. I mean, players we talk about how their fitness is increasing, their training is better. But yet we've still been running them, you know, ra- you know, running four lines. I think they could probably you know play a bit more. So try it out. We'll see how it goes. And I think there are some some benefits. And uh, I I mean I the team won. And you like to see maybe better to third period, but for the first two they look great. Dude, for the first two, the second period almost looked like the Globetrotters and the Washington mm-hmm. Generals at times. I mean, how long did Dallas go without a shot? 12, 13 minutes last night. I mean, I just know that they had a 10 on the shot clock for the majority of that second period from where I was sitting last night. And, um, you know, you would like to be better with shutting it down. Uh, And I'll tell you what, if this ended up with only getting a point uh, or, God forbid, losing in regulation, we'd probably have a very different tone to everything. But, I mean, it is early in the season. They're working through a lot of things. And I think there were some things that people were excited about seeing last night. And you mentioned that power play unit. Um, you know, two goals is two goals. Those are two very important scores with the man advantage. Um, you know, the PK still something that concerns me personally. Um, and that's a big part of why I would love to see David Gustafson get an opportunity. I mean, if Riley Nash is going to be on the roster and not dressing, um, you know, why, why not bring in, you know, a young player that I think most would agree has earned his opportunity and see what he can do in that role. But, um, Hey, the Jets showed a lot of things that make them the exciting team that they are last night. There was some great transition. There were some awesome plays. And then when it came down to showing off the skill in the three-on-three in the shootout, you know, the Jets were the better team and ended up getting the two points. I will say this, though, Reem, uh, a nice start for Eric Comrie. And I felt bad on a few of the goals that went in on Comrie. I mean, pretty hard to fault him. I mean, he had five, four guys whacking on him on that second goal. Uh, was left all alone. Pretty rough giveaway. Uh, where was Neil Pionk on uh, on Jamie Ben's goal? Um, and then, you know, a, a a lot of traffic that led to the third one. But uh, I'll tell you what, made some big saves when the team needed him. And especially in the shootout, I mean, the goalies are the ones that are under the most pressure in those situations. It can really be the difference about stealing a point or getting another one. And, you know, hey, two and O on the season, a 915 save percentage. Um, I think some people that maybe had judged Eric Combrey are maybe now a little bit more open to giving him an opportunity. We know Connor Hellebuck is going to be the guy that carries his team as far as they go, but there will be some nights off. Of course, he just had a baby. Congratulations again to the Hellebucks. Um, but it is going to be important for Eric Combrey to step up when he gets the opportunity to play, and he's done it twice in the past week. Yeah, I think a lot of people here were under the impression, and we saw it in Chattel Summer, that the Jets were, weren't were going to win a game. What, if he starts 10 games, they're going to lose all the games. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw people saying that or DMing us about that were concerned. I was like, give him a shot here. Let's see how it goes. I always say, you know, there's only, what, 60, you know, posi- you know goalies in the NHL. And I, I, surely there's more than 60 goalies in the world uh, who can play at the NHL level, considering when there's, you know, however many, you know, 30, 32 times 25 players. I'm sure that we can find more goalies. And um, you look at his numbers this year, he's 2-0, 240 GAA, 915 save percentage. I think it's looking good. I mean, they needed to cheap out on backup based on the salary cap. He's filled in. 
Uh, no, no complaints. I mean, the first goal, as you said, all alone, Jamie Ben. That's that's pretty tough. Like I maybe got lucky. I, hmm. Did I mention I love the offside challenge? Us, they got a bit. Yeah, <laughs> they got a bit. You another bit lucky. One. I there. mean, like like Maurice yeah. said, he said, you know, if it's a really close one, they'll buy Matt Prefontaine a, a dinner. Uh, yeah. I don't think either of the offside challenges maybe have been dinner worthy so far. Pretty clear right now. But again, you've got to be aware and you've got to be able to see it. Um, you know, from where I was sitting in the stands, I mean, I didn't automatically say that was offside. I was a little more wondering how the hell it happened in the first place. But uh, uh, bottom line is, they uh, a good challenge from the Winnipeg Jets yeah. and dodged a bit of a bullet because that would have been a real killer. And to their credit, they went right back and scored after that and really sort of took control of that game after the good fortune of a successful challenge. Yeah, and I thought the second goal that they scored, they got so many whacks. I was like, where's the whistle here? Help this guy out. And um, the third goal... Well, Jansen Harkins, I'm sure they're going to be looking video of that <laughs> and just like howling. I mean, that, that, I watched a play and I was like, oh my God, Jansen Harkins like flopping around here. You got to feel bad for him. And then on my Twitter, like I was at, at home watching and, um, every single tweet on my timeline for the next like hours, just like, it was oh, all look, the at, look at this highlight by John Klingberg. Oh my, oh my God. And it always is terrible when someone scores a highlight reel goal against the Jets and you have to see it over and over again. I just watching Harkin, that's just such <laughs> a that's such a rough look, man. Ooh, that's that's not ideal. Okay, we'll get back to more of the Jets game though. We are going to talk about a number of topics around the National Hockey League with ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. Just before we get to Wish, a big shout out to Culligan Water, our newest sponsor here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Uh, they've been the water experts in Winnipeg for 65 years, family-owned, and have everything for your family or your business when it comes to water services. Softeners, filters, drinking water systems, bottled water coolers, and bottled free coolers, not to mention water delivery services citywide, as well as con commercial and industrial water products and solutions for your business. Find out more online at drinkculligan.com or visit them in person, 1200 Sargent Avenue, or give them a call at 204 694 5180. Uh, we're going to have some nice weather for this bomber game on the weekend coming through, but you know winter is just around the corner. And Manitoba Battery is the place to go for the best price on batteries before it gets real cold. Don't be that guy that waits till it's minus 35 and then calls Donnie and the guys. Do it now. You get the best price on batteries in town, 89.50 with your core exchange or delivered within city limits, just 109.50 with a $15 recycling rebate when the core is returned. They've got batteries for everything under the sun as well. Find out more online, manitobabattery.com, or pop down and see them on Logan Avenue. And uh, we're going to get talking about Jets and NHL with Greg Wyshynski, and of course the NHL headquarters for merchandise and the original OG hockey superstore in Winnipeg, family-owned for over 35 years, is Royal Sports over at 750 Pembina. Whether you're getting ready for the Bomber game on the weekend, two Jets games at home. They've got all the merch there as well as getting on the ice. You know it. And one stop for it all, Royal Sports 750 Pembina Highway. And you can also follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pembina. I'm really looking forward to this next conversation. Obviously, lots to get to. We welcome in Greg Wyshynski from ESPN to the program. And of course, the uh, Puck Daddy podcast. Wish, what's good? <laughs> How are you, man? Great to have you back on the program. I'm good. I'm good. It's great to be here. You 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 see the new the new office uh, that we've constructed in the new house. It's got the little little puck daddy sign going on back here. Uh, when I go on daily wager on ESPN, this is the uh, the backdrop for it. So now it's a it's it's your backdrop as well. 
Well, it's exciting. I mean, being a hockey guy, you must be uh, over the moon right now with uh, ESPN's reemergence into the hockey game. And I can tell you just from uh, someone that consumes a lot of ESPN, uh, it's great to see the puck getting a little higher up on the docket. <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, no, it's been awesome. You know, it's it's it was interesting after being there for four years uh, to see the wave of good vibes uh, that were sent our way when we got the rights. Uh, I, you know, it's one of those things where you forget that for a generation of fans here in the U.S., ESPN was synonymous with hockey. Like, you know, the 1990s and the great, like, Detroit-Colorado rivalry and things like that. That was all on our airwaves. And so when the, we got the rights back and people start hearing the NHL theme song again and start seeing John Bucicross doing the hockey thing on their TVs. Like, I think it was just a really cool, um, you know, recollection on the part of a lot of people to when ESPN, you know, was the voice of hockey in the U S and, and now gets to be, you know, half, half the voice <laughs> uh, again with our friends at Turner. No doubt about it. Now, uh, I'd love to just focus on everything happening on the ice, but, you know, considering the the last week plus, um, I have to ask you about, um, you know, just your perspective on everything we've heard coming out of the Blackhawks report and particularly for Winnipeg Jet fans that I think have been struggling with a lot. Um, what you thought about um, Kevin Sheveldayoff and Mark Chipman's press conference yesterday, speaking about it publicly for the first time. Well, I think they had the benefit of following Gary Bettman and Bill Daly's press conference, which had about eight minutes of empathy and then 52 minutes of two lawyers trying their best to not answer questions of what did you know and when did you know it? I, I, I thought that the tone of that thing was so off. Uh, it really could have gone a long way to diffusing the bomb, if you will. And instead, it's like they cut the wrong wire and the timer went even faster on the bomb. One of those deals. <laughs> Uh, so I thought that them going first then allowed Chipman and, and Shevel Day off to kind of understand what tone they needed to strike. And yeah, it wasn't a perfect press conference. I know that there was some, some you know, talk of them, uh, you know, kind of little answers were too long. There weren't enough questions and that kind of thing. But I thought from a tone perspective, it was a lot closer to what we were hoping to see from the NHL than what we got from the NHL. Now, you asked me about Kevin Shevel-Dayoff. Uh, I know that uh, it is not a popular opinion because I think the popular opinion is to throw the book at anybody that was in the room for that meeting. I did not think Kevin Shevelday-Off should lose his job. I, I think that the role of an assistant general manager is something that the general public doesn't really understand. There are some that are very powerful. I think about like when uh, Julian Brisebois was the assistant GM to Steve Eiserman in Tampa, very powerful. And there are some that are not. And, and I think that at the time, Shevelday-Off was not in the capacity where he could affect change in the same way as John McDonough, Stan Bowman, Al McIsaac, certainly Joel Quenville. I think he leaves that meeting that meeting thinking that the power brokers that were in the meeting were going to handle the situation. Uh, I do think that there is something to be said for the NHL maybe giving him some level of discipline just to send a message that if you are if someone is in that room next time and doesn't see anything happen for three weeks to maybe speak up. But for that situation in that moment, I, I don't think that Kevin Sheveldayoff should have followed Bowman, McIsaac, and Quenville out the door. Uh, what do you think needs to happen um, moving forward? Um, I mean, I don't think that this is a regular occurrence in National Hockey League dressing rooms, but I, I mean, I will say this. This is the best league in the world, and if it can happen during the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2010 to a 20-year-old man, uh, it's horrifying to think about what still might be possible at lower levels. Um I mean, just as someone that loves this game and realizes how important it is and the horrible things that have happened in the past, 
What do you hope to see coming out of all of this, Greg? Well, I, I hope to see concrete plans put in place. The one thing I didn't want to see in the last week was anybody from uh, the Blackhawks or the NHL or, or wherever uh, telling me what they were going to do because they don't know what they're going to do. Like the NHL put out this idea, this plan of like, we're going to make a network of organizations that are going to be available to all the hockey players in the world. And then they get asked, okay, what organizations? And they're like, we don't know yet. And so don't tell us that because it kind of hurts your credibility when you just kind of throw some lip service to the problem without really giving us any concrete answers as to what you're going to do. The biggest thing I want to see emerge from this absolutely heartbreaking mess, and it needs to be said again that your heart goes out to Kyle Beach, not only for what he went through, but also for having the courage to step forward and put his name to it and and really with that interview on TSN, it affect change in ways that, that it, it wouldn't have been affected had he not. Um, the thing I want to see is this situation uh, addressed from outside hockey. Uh, bring in people that are experts on the subject of reporting these things, preventing these things. Bring in people that have dealt with it maybe in other sports. Um, the last thing that the NHL should be right now is insular. And I think part of the problem that perpetuates some of the toxicity that we see in the NHL is that it's so insular and that the same people get hired all the time and the same voices are being the, are, are the ones that, that talk all the time. I think they need to go outside the family for solutions to not only this problem, for but for a lot of the problems that we've talked about in the last couple of years with the NHL. Greg Wyshynski of ESPN with us. Um, there is a lot going on that has sort of kind of been almost on, under the radar because this has been such a massive story um, but I know both at ESPN and on the Puck Soup podcast, you've been talking about some of the things that, you know, don't have to do with the, the Chicago Blackhawks. The, the never-ending saga of Jack Eichel is, I mean, it's truly incredible for so many reasons. First of all, that we're having these same conversations right now, Greg, that were happening four and five months ago, that no surgery has happened. But um, I don't know. It seems like Vegas and now the Calgary Flames have been rumored to be both in how realistic is getting a trade done for the Buffalo Sabres right now. And if they do, I mean, is Kevin Adams going to be taking 70 cents on the dollar for a diminished asset because of this health situation? Well, first of all, I mean, no one's more upset about this Eichel thing than I am, man. As an American, we were going to have Austin Matthews and Jack Eichel up the gut at the Olympics. Now what do we got? Bump kiss. Uh, now. So like it is shocking that it's gone on this long. Uh, the Flames and the Vegas Golden Knights do appear to be the last two teams standing, according to my colleague Emily Kaplan's report on ESPN last night. Um, I've heard the same things. I, I think the, the new information that she had last night was that it seems like the ball is on the one-yard line now, which is great because it, I think as the best we've done is like first and goal from the 10 on this. So we're a lot closer to the, the finality of the situation. Uh, it's been really interesting to kind of, maneuver through the league and, and talk to people and, and understand why it's taken this long and why the pool of teams for Eichel is so small, um, which directly relates to your point about what the Sabres might get back when this thing comes to fruition. Um, clearly, Kevin Adams is not going to have the market that many of us thought could be there for Jack Eichel. Now, part of that is his salary cap hit. Part of that is the questions about his health. But part of that is also teams that may have wanted to trade for him but we're told by their own medical staff, we're not going to allow them to have artificial disc replacement surgery. I had one team tell me this past week that that was the case where they wanted to be in on, on, in the Eichel Derby, but their own medical people were like, no, nah, we're not going to agree to his surgery. And so there's no even a point in even exploring those conversations if that's going to happen, right? So 
Um, I wonder how many other teams are in that boat. Uh, it's clear the Flames and the, and the Golden Knights are not, and that's why we're at this point. But it comes down to this for me on both those teams is how do you make the money work? And, and the more you hear about the potential of there being a third team involved in the process, we look at our friends at Arizona who are in a gut renovation. We'll get to, we'll and, get to uh, them in a minute. <laughs> yeah, and could easily uh, probably take on uh, some freight on Eichel's contract for the next several seasons without really worrying about their own cap situation. Uh, there's going to have to be some finessing to make the money work in both of those cases. And then you start to get into the question of what it, what could that mean for Calgary, a team that is playing outstanding hockey right now, uh, as far as who could leave their active roster to try to make the money work. And is Buffalo even going to accept a veteran with a contract in this scenario when they've been so adamant about just trying to uh, add futures. You know, I, I mean, I've spent a lot of time on Calgary uh, airwaves with Pat Steinberg over the past <laughs> few months. And, you know, it would, be, it would always come in, you know, in free agency, we were speaking about, I mean, really at the end of last season, it was so disappointing for the Flames. A lot of people in that market expected, you know, some real significant changes in turnover and almost none of that has happened. And, I was, for one, very skeptical about this Eichel talk. I'm like, come on, really? I mean, how are they going to get it done? And I still, I guess, at this point, wonder what the Flames could give Buffalo to make that the best offer. But to your point, I mean, it's not like Kevin Adams is sitting there talking about a star player that's ready to go and has 15 suitors. Um, you know, it, it's, right. it's, it's a niche market wish. Yeah, it, it truly is. And, and it's it's... You know, when you when you think about a trade market for somebody, you think about a who wants them, uh, b who wants to give up uh, assets for them, and in some cases, you have teams that are are clearly happy with the way they're like. For example, rebuild has gotten in the Rangers' case where they decide not to you know trade a bunch of assets for the guy. Uh, then you, then you get into the the Eichel specific things, the cap hit at uh, at ten million a season the health situation going forward and also the necessity for surgery and who's going to allow him to do it. So it is a lot of factors and a lot of filters that I think have restricted the market for Kevin Adams. And look, he was never going to get equal value. There ain't no, ain't going to be no Jack Eichel coming back the other way in this trade. Uh, so the question is how much can you get and, and how much is it going to help the savers going forward? Because I'll say this in, in, in reporting on this for, for like a year now, there's a lot of PTSD in that market that people don't realize when it comes to trades because that Ryan O'Reilly trade they made, oh. it set the franchise back. And and they still they still feel the reverberations of that whiff and they know they can't whiff on this one. Well, and it was one thing that they lost O'Reilly, but then for Sabres fans with all of the optimism over the what they've done that just never worked. And then he literally immediately goes, turns a team around and they go from worst to first and win the damn Stanley right. Cup the next year. I mean, it can't yeah. get much worse. You always say it can't get much worse for Buffalo fans, but there always seems to be another disaster <laughs> around the corner. Right. Um, well, speaking of disasters, I, you mentioned the Arizona Coyotes. Is this team ever going to win a game? I hope not for their sake. Like, that's the whole plan, right? Like, be as bad as you can. You know, we often think about NHL awards in terms of success. But if the, the Arizona Coyotes come out of this as the perfectly built tank roster, Bill Armstrong should be GM of the year. It's not always about who wins. It's about who loses. And, you know, I'm a Devils fan. I remember the year of the Austin Matthews draft. The Devils were trying to tank as best they could to get the pick and draft an all, uh, you know, an all timer. 
And then Corey Schneider comes and he starts winning games. I'm like, you jerk. You're ruining the whole thing. The perfection of the Arizona tank is like their goaltending is like Carter Hutton and a bunch of shooter tutors at this point. And so they've even made sure that the goalie's not going to screw this thing up. Uh, it is. It, I'm in awe of, of how stripped down uh, gut reno this roster is and seeing it in practice on the ice uh, is it's it's remarkable. It's it's a perfect creature. Many GMs have attempted this and few have succeeded to <laughs> succeeded to fail the way that Bill Armstrong has. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm sure you, I mean, uh, on the daily wager have gotten this. I mean, essentially taking the Coyotes opponent on the puck line every night um, has been incredibly, incredibly profitable. I mean, like and to win in regulation by two is significant. I mean, so many NHL games are so close. You've got overtime. Not with these guys, Greg. I mean, it's pretty much you just you just add that on to the end of your parlay just to juice it up a little bit because it's almost a foregone conclusion every time these guys take the ice. Yeah, I'm not trying to be a betting genius here or anything when I do daily wager. I think I do pretty good for myself. But like, yeah, bet on Connor McDavid to get more than one and a half points. Bet on the Arizona Coyotes to lose by more than a, a goal and a half. So two, two pretty good bets in the early going in the National Hockey League. You know, from one sort of a sunny market to another, um, but in a very different situation is the Florida Panthers. Um, of course, yeah. they were undefeated. Um, they're now 8-0-1 on the year. Um, but they've lost uh, a coach that was, up until last week, uh, you know, headed directly to the Hall of Fame and have been a big part of that turnaround. First of all, how good are the Florida Panthers? Um, and what do you make of the the loss of Coach Quenville and uh, where they move forward with a team that's in first place and looking as good as any in the East? It's a terrifically constructed team. We, t- we just we talked about a team that's so poorly constructed. This is a very well-constructed team. And I give GM Bill Zito a lot of credit for identifying some of the things that roster needed. So by bringing in both the Sams, Bennett, and Reinhardt, they've been able to create depth in that lineup that I don't think they've really ever had in, in recent memory. I mean, the, the ability to play Jonathan Huberto down the lineup and not have to play him with Sasha Barkov, for example, really has helped out. Uh, down the lineup, they're getting contributions from from young players and veteran players in their bottom six. And I don't think that you can find many defensive pairings that are better than Aaron Ekblad and Mackenzie Wieger at this point too. Plus the fact that, Hey, look at this. When Sergei Bobrovsky is legitimately worried about losing his job and not to someone like Chris Dreger, who's a pending UFA, but to someone like Spencer Knight, who's going to be there for the next 10 years, he starts playing pretty good hockey, doesn't he? <laughs> He's like ice time is a good motivator in this league and Bob's been motivated. I think that they're real good. The question about the Quenville loss is the one that we can't quite figure out. Like you can continue to get good results from this team, playing the same system, having Andrew Burnett there. You know, there's a certain amount of of routine now, I think, in this lineup based on what they were under Quenville. But when you get down to it, you know, if you hit a losing skid, if you're in a tight playoff series and need someone to really kind of make the calls that are necessary, that that could be uh, the difference between success and failure. I mean, that's when you start wondering if the interim coach is still going to be the coach or if they have to go find a veteran solution. Two names on my radar for that job. My colleague at ESPN, John Tortorella, my buddy. He'd love um, that. He'd love, I mean, yeah. that, that would be good for business. I'll tell you that much. It'd be good for business. And obviously, he's got a relationship with Bill Zito going back. My, my colleague, Kevin Weeks, mentioned that Torts could be up for that gig. I think anybody that knows uh, you know, Zito and, and his history of Torts and 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 how you know Torts can come into a situation and, and – uh, an effect change there knows that that would be something that could happen. One other name that I heard through the grapevine 
which would be maybe later in the process, maybe even next season. I understand that Bill Zito is pretty close with Tony Granato, uh, the head coach of the men's team at the University of Wisconsin, and obviously a, a name that hockey fans are familiar with. So, you know, that we've been waiting for him to kind of get his NHL shot, and that could be a possibility too, uh, just based on relationships. Again, not hearing anything concrete, but it's the NHL. If you know somebody and your friends or you worked with them before, chances are he could be your coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which uh, I want to ask you about the Jets. You know, the season didn't start off too well. I mean, we all looked at the the, the schedule and like, oh, great. They're going to Anaheim. They're going to San Jose right off. Lost both of them in regulation. You know, had a game basically won and somehow threw up all over themselves and gave up a point against the Wild. And then came back and lost Captain Blake Wheeler and lost Mark Schleifley to COVID. I can tell you there was serious concern in Winnipeg because if you look back at history over the last few years, the Jets just simply did not win games when Mark Schleifley wasn't in the lineup. They yeah. have had points in every game since. Are now five two and two. Um, I'm not sure how much you've seen of the Jets, but I'm just interested in your perspective on a team that you know certainly looks a little more well rounded with players like. Connor and Dubois and Ehlers stepping up in roles absent of Shifley and Wheeler. And now in that game last night, about as even, evenly spread out a top nine that I think we've seen it maybe any time under Paul Maurice. Yeah, and, and it, you know, obviously there was some, at least for me, I thought Winnipeg was a real dark horse coming into the season to maybe even potentially win the West because of the improvements they made on their back end, both through addition and subtraction, uh, and the depth that they had at forward. And obviously in, in Hellebuck, you know, it, it, if not 1A, then, then right behind Vasilevsky for being the best goalie in the league. Um, those early losses look a little different now, don't they? Like with what we now know about the Ducks and what we now know about the California teams. I mean, they're a little bit better than we thought. And so maybe it isn't the shock and awe of those losses that we had initially. Um, but they've righted the ship. And and you mentioned Dubois. And for me, he was a big X factor for the season was, you know, what, what we saw from him last year, what we had seen from him in the previous postseason before last year uh you know there was a sense of this guy was going to turn the corner around into a really you know primo center in this league and i think we're, we're seeing a little bit more of that this season than obviously we saw after the trade now uh and just you know staying out west i mean you look at the pacific right now edmonton's had this incredible hmm. start Connor mcdavid is you know he somehow gets better all, all the time he's dominating games but then there are the flames and we mentioned the flames and their interest in jack eichel Right now, um, you know, without major offseason changes, it seems like the Daryl Sutter effect is coming in. Now, the Battle of Alberta is back big time, isn't it? It, it is, but what's the Daryl Sutter effect? The Daryl Sutter effect is not turning uh, Andrew Maggiapani and, and Elias Lindholm into Rocket Richard Trophy candidates. I don't know where the hell that came from, but it, it, <laughs> here, here we are. Um, but the Daryl Sutter effect, obviously, is just kind of like calming down everything, giving them structure. Uh, defensively, they've been, they've been great. Uh, the one thing that we know about the Daryl Sutter effect is it usually mostly affects your goalie. And, and obviously, Markstrom's been fantastic to start the season in a way that he wasn't last year. So they're legit. I, I, I slept on them a little bit. I was trying to find ways to not have them in my top three in, in the Pacific. I think part of that might have been getting a little bit charmed by the Kraken in a way that maybe I shouldn't have now that we see what the product looks like on the ice. Um, but uh, but yeah, Calgary looks great. Uh, and they're doing it on both ends of the ice, which is not something you normally uh, or I should say immediately associate with a, uh, a Daryl Sutter team. I mean, Andre Kopitar obviously had some pretty good offensive seasons for him in LA, but, uh, but we don't think of, of Daryl Sutter teams to be this, this good offensively 
but at least they are so far earlier this season. Well, the division's interesting too. I mean, you kind of mentioned Anaheim and San Jose. They've won their fair share of games. They're sort of in mm-hmm. the mix right now. But, um, you know, the preseason heavy favorite to win that division was the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know, through injuries and ability to, you know, like the, the roster has been in flux the entire time. But I mean, they're four and five right now, Wish. And with the way that Edmonton, I guess we'll include Calgary, are playing right now, but I think Edmonton are probably a little more sustainable when you've got McDavid. You know, you wonder how big this gap is going to get, and you know, if they'll be able to all of a sudden flip the switch when everything comes back and rock it back up and challenge Edmonton for the top of the division. Yeah, I had somebody ask me about the Knights and like whether it was all kind of falling apart for them. You know, as a team, I'm like, you take Mark Stone, Max Patchy, Reddy, William Carlson. Nolan Patrick out of your lineup. Like, what do you expect? I mean, this is like a gutted team right now. And, and and the problem for them right now is that not only are they missing the contributions of those players, but you have players who I think are trying to do too much. Like Alex Petrangelo is trying to do everything for this team right now. And it is not working. And it's showing up in the underlying numbers that he's having a really poor season based on his standards. And I think it's because he's trying to do too much. And so um, they miss those guys. Uh, they need them back. Uh, I think there is concern that they're going to have to get on a heck of a roll at some point to rally in that division. As you see the top two teams kind of separate from the pack and, and don't forget, like you're looking at that division at the California teams. I have a column on ESPN tomorrow. If you want to check it out on the Kings, the Sharks and the Ducks. I mean, the Sharks could be a little legit now that they figured out how to play defense and, and uh, the Ducks, I think, are doing pretty well for themselves to try to hit that sweet spot. The veterans, the Kings suffered some pretty big injury losses at the start of the season. They could still be dangerous. Like it, it ain't guaranteed that the that the Knights are going to be a playoff team. They've got to kind of like stop taking on water until they get some of these guys back. Hey, Greg, I always love having you in the program. Last one on the way out. I know you're keenly interested into how Team USA is looking as you get closer. I hope everyone... <laughs> is paying attention to what Kyle Connor's doing up here right now because uh, this young man has taken his game up to another level, driving a line right now, and uh, right up there near the top of the scoring leaders. I, I know a lot of people thought that he'd be on the team, uh, but I'll tell you what, the way he's playing right now, I think he's making a statement not just to be on the team, but to be a big part of the uh, team near the top of the lineup. Oh, I think he'll 100% be part of the team. Uh, and, and, and again, for me, this is very exciting. We've got a puncher's chance right now against Canada. Uh, but the, the loss of Eichel is such a bummer, man. I've been looking forward for this for, for, to this for like six years to have Matthews and Eichel finally giving the U.S. some centermen since like the late 90s, maybe for the first time. Uh, so in Connor, Kyle Connor, we trust and Connor Hellebuck, we trust. We'll see what we end up with. My only my only guarantee about the Olympics right now is that uh, both us and Canada will will probably cover the puck line against China. Yeah, that is going to be it. <laughs> but you mentioned goaltending. I mean, as a Canadian, that's the one thing that I think gives a lot of us pause. I mean, we know the incredible goaltenders around. And it just before we go, I mean, if you had to lay a nickel down on who starts for Canada at the Beijing Olympics as of today, who are you going with? I don't know. It's a great question. Um, you know, Bennington might be making a case for himself, um, but I think the ultimate answer to the question is you probably should trade us somebody and we'll give you John Gibson. I mean, I don't think McDavid should be necessarily on the table for you guys, but if you wanted to give us McDavid for John Gibson, I think it's we'll, we'll talk. I mean, our people will call your people. Uh, Greg, thanks so much for the time. Keep the great work at ESPN. Love the podcast as well. And I always appreciate you making time for us in Winnipeg. 
Anytime. Thanks for having me. There it is. Greg Wyshynski. Give him a follow at Wyshynski on Twitter. And of course, you can check out all of his content covering the National Hockey League at ESPN. We're going to well welcome in Murata Tesh in just a second. You want to thank Princess Auto for coming on board and supporting Winnipeg Sports Talk. Princess Auto, in addition to being a great sponsor, both Team Mike McEwen, Jen Jones, Mac Hughes, uh, or uh, Aaron Cockerell, excuse me, on the golf course, um, and a big part of curling here in the province, is also the place where you'll find the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is over at Princess Auto. Family owned, headquartered right here in Winnipeg with two Winnipeg locations. And of course, you can get working or dreaming up your next project 24 7, 365 online at princessauto.com. Um, we are uh, looking forward to celebrating five years in Winnipeg with Little Brown Jug coming up in a few weeks. In, in the meantime, as we transition to fall and winter, the uh, winter variety pack is ready to go, including the new double. Remus and I got a chance to try it last week. An amazing fall beer. Um, but you can find out more on everything that Little Brown Jug has going on at their website, littlebrownjug.ca. Upcoming events, a link if you'd like to book the space for an upcoming holiday party, bachelor, bachelorette, and more, as well as all their great deals. And make a point of popping down to the tap room on William Avenue. Just a phenomenal space, a beautiful building, great spot to hang out, and they've got the best beer around, all on tap, Little Brown Jug on William Avenue, and online at littlebrownjug.ca. Some more action tonight in the NHL, I believe four games. Tomorrow, an interesting Thursday nighter, and then a very busy weekend with the Jets playing Friday and Saturday, and the Bombers at home Saturday. You know where to gather with your gang. Boston Pizza, your nearby Boston Pizza, is the spot in the BP Lounge. Ice-cold schooners, delicious pizza, Boston's wings, as well as new favorites on the menu and the big screen with the big game and a always big sound. Boston Pizza, and you can also order. Get it at home at bostonpizza.com. All right, let's get back to the Jets. Lots to unpack coming out of yesterday, both on and off the ice. And we always enjoy welcoming in Marotta Tesh from the Athletic to Winnipeg Sports Talk. Marat, how are you doing? It's great to have you back on WST. Uh, great to be back. How are you? How are you, Kevin? You know, what? I'm good. I mean, I, I think like so many of us close to, um, you know, the team and, you know, this being a job, it's been a heavy week. I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat it. I mean, uh, you know, ever since, um, you know, the report came out and certainly, I mean, the interview last Wednesday, I believe a week ago today, if I'm not mistaken, with Kyle Beach was, I mean, it shook everybody, I think. And I was no different. And, you know, I mean, it was exhausting, to be honest, talking about this, uh, but it was important and it was something that we had to talk about. And listen, I do want to get to the hockey team and I want to get to the game last night and upcoming. But, um, you know, from last week, uh, you know, we spoke. There was a lot of things that we wanted to hear and wanted to see. And at some point, Kevin Sheveldayoff and Mark Chipman were going to need to meet the media, um, answer questions. Um, and, you know, hopefully either maintain, regain trust, however you want to call that, with a lot of fans and stakeholders of the organization. Yesterday was that day. Um, I'll just get your thoughts first off on uh, what we heard from the Jets general manager and the True North chairman yesterday at 4 p.m. Awesome. Sorry, that's such a perfectly framed question and lead in. But I just do want to take a moment to empathize with how heavy it's been. Yeah. And. You know, if it's heavy for us as people who covered the team and who write about it and who 
have read the report, have read the horrific sexual assault description. Um, I wonder how heavy of a time it's been for survivors, for people who work with survivors, for people who are loved ones of survivors, who experience kind of the ongoing trauma that, that is a reality of that scenario. And I think that this taste of how heavy it is, like it, it's, it's exhausting. These, this week, it's been a week, us, that we've been in this world as heavily as, as we have in terms of covering the team. And there isn't an emotional component to it that is, is, is really quite heavy at times. So to consider that as a tip of the iceberg of what some other people out there might be experiencing right now, I can't help but just respond to that emotionally. Um, and then to actually answer the question that you asked, I mean, you know, first impressions from yesterday, I thought it was important that Mark Chipman led with a, a perspective of education, right? He, he starts talking about, you know, sexual assault survivors beyond Kyle Beach. He starts talking about um, some sexual assault statistics as well. One in three women, one in six men. And he cites his sources. Uh, he, he details the different types of responses that happen in these situations um, based on research that he's clearly done and homework that he's clearly spent time on. And I think that that's an important message to, to people who are hoping that True North will take this seriously because it shows a commitment to an amount of work. And by the end of the press conference, he's, he's referencing Project 11, Rick Rippon. You and I talked about that a little bit last week, saying that, well, this in a horrible way is an opportunity for True North to do something really quite significant, regardless of how it believes the culpability shakes out. If True North puts its full weight and full might behind uh, legitimate programming or supporting of other people, other organizations in the community that do the, this kind of programming or, or do this kind of education work or help, I mean, that could be an incredibly powerful thing. And he, he stopped sort of spelling out exactly what those steps would be. But I thought it was important, and that was my biggest takeaway from the day. I mean, there's lots to pick apart. There's lots to say that you love this or didn't love that. But it seemed to me that the tone, it, especially on Mark Chipman's part, especially on his part, um, was of a willingness to go to, to, to put resources into actual meaningful resource-intensive work. And if, if that's what we see, I mean, good on them. It, it would be an opportunity well seized. If that's not what we see, then we need to hold them accountable. And they asked us for that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, um, you know, it was a very different, very different press conference compared to the one with Gary Bettman, you know, where you know, we went through a million questions, people going back. I mean, they led with Rick Westhead on Zoom. Um, you know, certainly Jeff was in there, um, you know, with some pretty pointed questions. And, you know, unfortunately, it did go long and there wasn't enough time. I mean, the people would have been asking questions for six hours, I'm sure, if they, uh, if they had the time to do it. But, I mean, we both said, I mean, you wanted to hear empathy. You wanted to, you know, hear honesty. Um, but you also wanted to hear how this, how, how we proceed going forward. And the one thing that was obviously lacking at the highest levels in Chicago was leadership, strong leadership. And, um, you know, Mark Chipman has always been a leader. And I think that he committed to being a leader. And it's especially with someone with his stroke in the NHL, being on the board of governors, there needs to be some people in positions like that, stepping forth, saying that they will do it and then backing it up. And, um, you know, I, I certainly do believe that there will be some positives that come out of this. Um, but it was things like that were committed to by the chairman yesterday of True North that gives me, um, you know, some hope. And, and to your point, expectations 
that that will happen going forward. Yeah, similarly, you know, you look, because the emotion, I believe, was genuine, and they did a good job, each of them, each of Mark Chipman and Kevin Sheldayoff, of conveying for the first time feelings of contrition, feelings of apology, empathy for Kyle Beach. I mean, um, empathy for other survivors of sexual assault. This was, it was not legalese, even if at times it was wordy. It was not this robotic statement that we've, you know, sort of come to see over the last week since uh, the report came out. So that that was a really nice thing to see. Like you say, we asked for that. And I think that the, the contrast between the NHL and from the Winnipeg Jets organization on that part, especially this week, is stark. And in Winnipeg's favor, I think then where I go from that is, well, what are the specific measurable, achievable goals that were, were set in, in, in yesterday's press conference? And, you know, you go through the words and, you know, there, there is a lot of grand talk. Some of the specifics are vague, to, to be honest. One of the, the things that was particularly significant and specific, though, was Kevin Sheveldayoff saying that he's committed to taking Sheldon Kennedy's education program in its fullest um, when it comes to the, um, I guess, the nature of being an empowered bystander and educating his own organization about it. He committed to taking Sheldon Kennedy's course. He committed to talking with Sheldon Kennedy uh, about that afterwards and has started to brainstorm uh, about how to to bring that education to the organization at large. Again, this is one of those things where, well, bringing it to the organization at large, I, I think that would be a valuable step. Any person in position of leadership, hockey, outside of hockey, because you know power dynamics go well beyond sport. I mean, I think that's a, a good commitment to make. And then again, it's seeing what happens and seeing how that indeed gets incorporated. And, and I liked hearing that specific commitment. Yeah, um, you know, obviously this is something that we've been talking about nonstop. I, I said at the beginning of the program, um, you know, before people, if you haven't watched it, I think it's important that people do. We've got it on the YouTube channel. You can go back before maybe you uh, you make your um, your own personal judgment on this situation and how you'll feel about this going forward. It's all there. It's always awkward moving from this topic to what is honestly somewhat trivial what's happening on the ice compared to that. But just before we do that, is there anything else that you want to touch on um, as it pertains to yesterday or really the last week with where we as, you know, as a community, people that are, you know, close to this hockey team, fans um, that go from here, Marat? Well, I think that, you know, what do I think? I think that because it's such a heavy issue, and because we all have a tremendous amount of emotions about it, whether it's sexual assault, whether it's folks who have a, like a real devotion to the Jets organization and True North, like there's a lot of loaded emotions that go into considering what's right and what's wrong in this situation. And if folks have the emotional space for it, you know, I do recommend reading as much of the 107-page report uh, that was released last week as as possible. It's uh, it's an easy Google, um, and uh, it, it gets into the details, not just of what happened at that meeting Shovel Dayoff was a, a part of, but really the full scope of what happened to Kyle Beach, and it's, it's really quite horrific. So there's a, a warning that comes with that. Make sure that there's emotional space there. Um, similarly, the Kyle Beach video interview with Rick Westhead last week, and then similarly, the press conference yesterday. You can hear the questions asked, and you can hear how Jets leadership responded, often quite well, uh, sometimes a little vaguely. But overall, I, I personally thought that it was a good version of, of, of the proceedings. 
you might not agree with me. You might not agree with us, right? And so to the degree, and I'm really just echoing you, to the degree that folks have the emotional space and room to go to a heavy place, I mean, maybe slow it down. Maybe maybe go one at a time, have conversations with loved ones, whatever it is. I'm still trying to figure out what route this has for me in my own life because I'm part of the industry. Yeah, and I think there's been a lot of people that have been asking those questions as well. Um, the conversations are important and action is important. Um, change is important. And, and you know, hearing Mark, you know, speak to a commitment to change, systematic shortcomings, um, you know, within hockey and beyond, um, you know, I think is, is an admission that more people need to. And obviously people of incredible power and influence like Mark, um, you know, can make a uh, make a change. I was mentioning to Reem, were you in the building last night? Yeah, yeah, I was. So I don't know what it was like up in the press box, but I will say that up in the 300 level, um, really right from the start of the game, um, there was still a little bit of a cloud around everything. Um, and you, you really felt that in talking with fans. I mean, a lot of the times, even on a Tuesday night, you'll see people and they're really fired up. It was a little bit more toned down. Um, you know, we saw it in the anthem last night. I mean, there was that feeling that it was heavy, I think, for a lot of people. And I would imagine that the majority of Jet fans had seen at least some of the press conference that went into the hockey game. Um, to the credit of the team, they had the energy last night. I mean, especially early on um, in a bit of a back and forth game. But um, just before we talk about what actually happened on the ice, I mean, did did it seem like a regular Tuesday, regular season game to you or was it... Uh, was it a little different or is that all just our personal, the way we are feeling coming out of, you know, two hours afterwards, one of the most significant press conferences in the history of this organization? Yeah. You know what? I should clarify because I, I'm less of an authority to speak on that than maybe me just saying yes means um, yeah, after the press conference, I stepped out of Matt Frost and I took the 10 minute drive home and I wrote the column that I did that went up late last night at the athletic, um, the full feature column on, on the, on the piece um, oh, sorry, on the story. Uh, I wrote that and returned to the to the rink in time for, I think it was early in the second period. So the specific window you're talking about, um, I'm not sure. I can't really, I can't honestly speak to that. By the time that um, I returned and, you know, Winnipeg was scoring its third goal, I believe um, it sounded enthusiastic to me. And I noted that. I thought to myself, oh, okay, interesting. Like there's some real enthusiasm amongst the fans right now. And maybe that period you're talking about had already passed by the time that I was experiencing it. Yeah. You know what? And, and, and to be honest, this was more less in the bowl. This was more in the concourse. This was in more, oh. you know, meeting people and just seeing people. I mean, that, that was just the way that I, uh, that I felt it. Um, uh, that being said, there was a hockey game last night and a pretty important two points on the ice for, uh, you know, within the division, um, you know, a couple power play goals, uh, you know, a blown lead, some brilliance in overtime, and Eric Comrie coming up big in his shootout. Um, you know, I guess the thing that we started talking about is just how interesting it was to watch the three lines, the way they were established last night with Shifley and Wheeler playing with Lowry and keeping the two lines that had been pretty effective over the course of, um, you know, their absence, Murat, together. And you go through the ice time at the end of the game, and essentially all of those top guys within about two minutes of each other. Um, you know, what were your thoughts of the game overall and particularly how Paul Maurice handled this new deployment of his top forwards? I gotta be honest, I like it a lot. I like the idea of a spread out top nine, and I'm skeptical that it lasts past these early days as we learn to get those big minutes back. Um, but 
I think that there's been a, 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 lo- a large argument for a long time that when you're as rich in forward talent with as diverse skills as Winnipeg has often been, you might get more mileage out of it by spreading out that talent. And when you get found money, like uh, Evgeny Svechnikov being able to make, uh, you know, be a contributing part of that Connor and Dubois line that is really taking over for the Jets these days. Well, then that means somebody else gets to play on a different line. And, you know, if that's Shifley, Lauer, and Wheeler together, if that's Wheeler a little bit down the lineup, if that's keeping Kopp, Stastny, and Ehlers together, which has been a, a successful line uh, at times as well. I mean, this is, I, I think, in line with modern lineup layout, you know, thinking from an analytic perspective. And spreading the wealth and having a, different groups that can do different things, I, I like it. I'm just sort of, uh, I got to be honest, you know, once, you know, Wheeler and Shifley get their heartbeat back and that Shifley made what I thought was a bad joke about COVID making you stronger last night. Um, yeah, but like that once that he, fell a little flat, that one. <laughs> um, he was in good spirits. He, he, he was funnier later in the press conference. I'm not, I just didn't like that line anyway. Um, uh, my point is, I guess, once he gets back uh, to, to full, full, I'm not sure that we'll see such an egalitarian lineup of, of lines. And I hope we see it for long enough, us, so that last night our appreciation of it, we get to do it, we get to experience it a couple more nights and really see what the Winnipeg Jets look like when the lines are deployed like that. Yeah, I, I mean, the one, I mean, it's naive of us to think, okay, these are the lines and this is going to be that way for the next 15 or 20 games of the rest of the season. I mean, guys will get hurt, games will change, but I think the fact that we're seeing this being cried, and, and, and to me, it's more an acknowledgement of just how good and important Dubois has been. Kyle Connor has been in a role, not complimentary, if you will, to Mark Shifley. And then of course, Nikolai Ehlers. And if those players are sort of driving lines themselves, I mean, it it makes an entirely different look of a top nine of of a team that honestly last year with Dubois struggles was almost a one line team. It's certainly with the way that Maurice was leaning on that top line in just about each and every situation. I mean, it, this has gone from one end of the spectrum to the other right now when you compare what we remember from last year, Marat, to what we saw last night at uh, Canada Life Centre. Yeah, absolutely. It gives Winnipeg multiple looks, multiple dangerous looks. And I don't think anybody ever, you know, we're not so far on criticizing Kyle Connor's defensive impact that people think he, need, he needed a redemption of any kind. But certainly a couple of years back, I remember looking at one particularly effective two-week stretch and sort of concluding he was ready to drive play. I don't think that he was that independent play driver at that time, you know, the month following that or in the, in the years past. I mean, he, he's still growing as a player. And Paul Maurice's challenge to him at the beginning of this year, as made through the media at least, was give back less, create just as much. And you know what? When he and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois are going, and then Pierre-Luc Dubois, who I think we all sort of thought, yeah, there, there is a redemption story available here because last season wasn't particularly impressive. Well, now you get those guys together, and you have Kyle Connor in overtime taking his shot, getting his rebound, taking another shot, getting that rebound. Like, the speed on that man right now, the strength on Pierre-Luc Dubois also playing at that pace. I mean, right now, the Winnipeg Jets are their town. Like the Winnip- this is their city right now in terms of who's driving the bus, and they're not complementary players. To think that they can be counted on, and then you can point to, well, hey, Nick Ehlers is going to get going offensively. Mark Shifley is Mark freaking Shifley. You know, Blake Wheeler uh, still contributes in an awful lot of ways. Well, 
now you can start looking at five, two, and two and start wondering, well, you know, not every win has been pretty, but for a lot of last night's game, it looked pretty good. Can this team continue at that level, clean up some of the zone exit issues that it's had, and then actually be, you know, full value for, you know, second, third, you know, maybe even compete for the division lead at times. I'm not sure about that, but be full value for all of the promise, all of the offseason hype. Uh, that would be a nice sign. You know, uh, something else that stood out to me in uh, in the coach's post-game press conference when he was asked about the power play is something that I know we've spoken about. It's been a, just certainly a topic that I've brought up before. Um, you know, we know that, it, you know, power play opportunities is important to, to star players. I mean, it's a great opportunity to score, to help your team win, all that. And, you know, that you know, where's Nikolai Ehlers on the power play has been a huge topic. I think right now we have as two, much like we just talked about the three lines, two power play units that are, um, you know, everyone will have their own opinion over which one might be better than the other. But the bottom line is a true competition between these two units. And I think back to the end of last season when that sort of developed Marat and how positive that was for the team. Um, we're getting to that place quite early. And from what the coach had to say last night, I think that is something that will continue going forward. And in my opinion, can be really good for the internal chemistry and competition within the team. Um, and obviously ending up with uh, some results on the ice. Yeah, I like it a lot as well. Us, I got I to gotta be honest. Um, when power play time is not necessarily guaranteed, if a unit goes cold and they're not getting big minutes, that kind of works for me to be honest and i've been part of the Ealers conversation before i mean zone entry specialist good shooter good passer find him more minutes as, as much as you can including on that number one power play well maybe he is the number one power player part of it uh, another huge development is that josh morrissey is shooting like incredible compared to josh morrissey's shots of recent history he said a couple of times now he's worked on it quite a bit over the uh, over the off season you got Nate Schmidt. He's, you know, I, I've noticed and asked him about, um, he's so good at looking off his passes. So you, you often see his eyes looking left. He, then he passes right to, to Josh Morrissey. He says he's learned that from John Carlson. He said he's learned that from Mike Green, some of Washington's greats over the years. I think that's a nice touch. So Morrissey's getting these passes in his wheelhouse. And these are two guys, I mean, Schmidt, obviously not a Winnipeg Jet last year, but Josh Morrissey, you wouldn't have talked about him as a power play driver last season by any stretch. I thought he no. struggled quite a bit. Now he's a weapon and to, to have that many weapons is one thing to sort of size it up and line it up. Like, Hey, there's a competition here. Big minutes will go to big results is, is an entirely different thing, especially for a team. Just like you said in your last question, transitioning from one line, Shifley and Wheeler and Connor to a second, you know, at two lines, you have cop, uh, pardon me, you have Dubois uh, and then Kyle Connor right at the moment. I think that those cherry minutes being a competition and not given to anyone by default is a great way to transition to that as well. If you go from Mark Scheifele getting all of the best minutes all of the time, no matter what, to, well, now Pierre Dubois having a heck of a season, um, you know, he can be part of that competition. Nick Ehlers can be part of that competition. Both units, I think it helps at five on five as well as on the power play to really get folks driving results. Well, and, and, and I, I've got to bring up Dubois because uh, God knows he was a huge topic of the offseason, and legitimately so. I mean, I think we all agreed going into training camp. I mean, if there was one player that people would be focusing on, it was Dubois, and that comes with the territory of being traded for a star like Patrick Laine, a player that was so popular, that was so effective for the Winnipeg Jets. 
and then to have, you know, an up and off and down season last year with a lot of pressure. This guy that's wearing number 80 this year, Marat, is, um, well, I've said it before, this is exactly the player I think that they were hoping to get in that trade. And with Dubois playing at the level he is right now, it completely changes the way the Winnipeg Jets look. Yeah, I mean, the next goal he scores will tie his season total for the Jets last year. He's at seven already. He's at 11 points in nine games. And not, like, you're not looking at these things to yourself that these are flukes. I mean, they're the result of a big, fast, powerful player who plays pretty well in his own zone as well. I mean, the wraparound goal he scored the other night started on his own crease, uh, clearing up a defensive play and keeping things, things safe, then following up on a rush, and then bearing a goal. And he keeps scoring, and he keeps creating opportunities for himself and for his linemates to score. So, yeah, we did talk about him an awful lot this summer, and I think that we granted grace. I think we all acknowledged that his transition to Winnipeg was about as bad as you could draw it up. A two-week quarantine, uh, an injury barely right away, and then another one towards the end of the season, right before the playoffs, which had been so strong for him a year before. There was no chance to get off the runway there, I thought. Um, but then you start wondering, okay, well, now that he has a proper offseason, what can he realistically hit? And, you know, maybe it's a part of his best self from past years because he's still getting used to the new team and all of that. I think he's been as good for the Winnipeg Jets in these last couple of weeks as he had been at any point in his career up to this point. I think this is a young, I think he's still 23 years old. I got a tab open. Let's confirm it. 23 years old. Absolutely. is June 24th. This is his birthday. So he's a young 23 at that. I mean, this is a guy who's getting better even now. And saying all the right things, playing all the right ways. I mean, we've, we, we go to this line a lot, but he is the player Winnipeg wanted to trade for last year. No doubt about it. Uh, you know, another guy that had got a lot of, uh, well, let's say it was a hot topic, and maybe this speaks to how excited people were about the upcoming season, was Eric Comrie. Um, but, um, you know, two games in, Remus and I went over the numbers. They're pretty good. Bottom line for Comrie, I mean, the number that he needs to put up is a two in the points column and one in the win um, he's done that so far. What? And I know, I mean, as the, as you know, journalists, I mean, you're not cheering for the team or anything like that. It's impossible not to kind of pull for Eric Comrie because of the person that he is. But, uh, you know, I think he's had a great start so far and an important one, because if it was the other way around Marat, the conversations, I think around that spot in the Winnipeg Jets would be very different. Yeah. I imagine that Eric Comrie is undefeated right now is a, is a huge sigh of relief for Jets brass. I mean, who needed, a league minimum salary and who needed a human being that they could, you know, trust and rely upon. Um, and for Eric Comrie as well, who has had some rough outings in previous years. I mean, the confidence, the boost that this must give him to see, you know, he talked an awful lot as all players do, but I think in his case, even more so about the work he put in this off season, uh, mental skills, coach, all of the, all of the rest. Um, well, results are how the NHL is evaluated and he needed to put a couple up and, Honestly, to, to really give Winnipeg a strength at that position, you'll need to keep it up. Um, but I'll agree with you that, uh, I mean, it's obviously a huge boon to the Jets if he can play and, and win and um, be a driver in, in wins as well. And I think, you know, bounces aside, goals aside, uh, the wins aside, just watching him in these two games that he's played, from my non-goalie coach, non-goalie expert eyes, I mean, I think this is the best stretch of play he's I've ever seen him play in the NHL. and. If 
I'll leave it at that. I mean, we all know the ifs. I mean, if he keeps it up, great. If he doesn't, well, there'll be question marks again. I think, though, that he's playing with more confidence and, and getting more results than he has at any point. Good to see. Yeah, I, mean, I think that a good start for him, or maybe more than any other player, was important just because a lot of the noise and justifiable questions about, you know, whether he was ready to take that role. Um, because as great as Connor Hellebuck is, you don't want to run him out there like uh, Maurice did Artur Zerbe back in the day with 79 <laughs> games a season, which, to be honest, in the first couple of weeks, I thought was in play the way things were going. Of course, Connor, a, a proud new father, missing the game last night. We expect him to be back in. And, uh, you know, with, with Connor having the entire week off, I'm, like, are we going to see Connery again this weekend, do you think, with the back-to-backs, Marat? I still expect them to split the backs back to back situation. I, I I mean, oh goodness! I like we we've asked this question before. Was Comrie not even going to get to play until the back to back? Okay, well now he's gotten in twice. He's got the win. Um, you know, I don't know what Connor Hellebuck's lo- life looks like right now in terms of being a, a brand new dad. And and certainly, I mean, I'm sure the moms in these situations with NHL players carry just a tremendous amount of that weight. At the same time, he's back you know, on the roster. Christian Veselin is back up. Burden's down. Uh, so, you know, Hellebuck will get at least one of those starts to be sure. I imagine though, I'm still feeling a split from these guys, uh, at this stage. Um, but man, you put, you put a seat of doubt in the back of my mind at this stage. Well, you know, I mean, I just look at the way, I mean, you've got Chicago first, which is uh, obviously a far inferior team to the Islanders squad. That'll be here on Saturday. You know, normally, you know, the number one guy goes first and then you throw the back in the backup in for the second game of the back to backs. Um, but, you know, with him being off the entire week, I guess that a lot of it will depend. And I know Maurice probably won't commit to anything. We'll see what happens on against Chicago and um, and then uh, and then take it from there. Um, there is a lot to unpack in and around this hockey club. But of course, the big story uh, has been off the ice. If you haven't read it already, uh, Marat's got a great column up at The Athletic. Uh, Mark Shipman, Kevin Shev, they have pledged change in the wake of Blackhawk scandal. Now it's time to do the work. Um, we kind of hit that as well as hit what's happening on the ice off day today for the club back at practice going into the weekend. And, uh, you know, it's funny after that rough start, Marat, um, you know, you look at the standings right now and, uh, they're the jets, just two points. Uh, well actually tied for first, although St. Louis with their great start six and one, uh, still has a couple games in hand, but, um, you know, two regulation losses to start off the season, losing their captain and their number one center. Um, they haven't lost in regulation since and uh, have been stacking up points with, you know, some performances better than others. Um, pretty good turnaround, I think, all in all, when you, you consider the sort of uh, auspicious start to the year on the road. Yeah, I think that wise it's still a mixed bag to a certain extent. Like there are still issues with zone clearance. I think there's still issues with transition at times. Paul Maurice last night talking about how the Jets played great for the first, I think, two periods, he said, and the third, they came off it a bit. Um, and I, I only mention that, not to be like, oh, like let's let's let the air out of 5-2-2 two, and two or what have you, um, but to say that expectations for these Jets were high, the pressure on that top four defense now that on paper it, it has improved, were, uh, is high as well. The penalty kill opened the season really quite poorly. Uh, some of those top four defensemen were parts of also on camera for, for moments of goals against. And, you know, I saw a, a lot of criticism being like, okay, same old team, same old results, same old defensive zone uh, structure. I think that there are glimpses of better there. 
and were even before last night's uh, you know opening 50 minutes or so the probably the best uh, hockey of Winnipeg season so far. So I think it was e- extremely important, given the expectations, given the work in progress, that when Mark Scheifele goes out, Blake Wheeler goes out, the team gets a couple of wins, gets some points together, and can now point at that as a time that they were resilient, you know? So this buys them a sort of grace from the fans, from observers, probably from themselves as well, especially, um, to, to develop the improvements in, in systemic play and all that sort of stuff that is the goal with the roster that they have. So a long and complicated way of saying, yeah, good start, good resilience, well done. Yeah, two points uh, to kick off the uh, the homestand. And as I mentioned, they would have loved to shut that down. From a fan's perspective, we got to see an incredible overtime. I can't remember, excluding Connor McDavid, I can't remember a better overtime shift than Kyle Connor had last night. And of course, a couple shootout goals that um, certainly brought everyone out of their seats and sent them home happy. Hawks and Islanders, and uh, we'll get a chance to see those St. Louis Blues in first place on Tuesday night. Really looking for I, I don't want to diminish the Blackhawks coming in because it is a central division game. They've got so much baggage. There'll be a lot of things that'll be happening with that game. But tell you what, that Tuesday game in six days and then the following Tuesday with the Edmonton Oilers, a um, couple big games on this homestand. It'll be very interesting to see how the Jets match up. Yeah, much needed for the Jets' long homestand after those trips, after all the off-ice distraction as well. And I mean, Chicago coming into town is probably not going to take the microscope off for a minute. No. And that's okay. Uh, but at the same time, there have been hockey games played, and there will be hockey games played. And, um, you know, Central Division matchups, I mean, a lot of folks expected more from Chicago. I, I was a little skeptical. We'll see what they what they do. Um all to say, this should be haymaking season for the Winnipeg Jets. They're home for so much of November. They've gotten some points off their start. I mean, who these guys are, we're going to find out in the month of November. Well, I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to more chats with you. Uh, have a great off day. Thanks very much for the time. As always, we'll look forward to uh, more on The Athletic leading into a big weekend for the Winnipeg Jets and the rest of this homestand, Marat. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Talk soon. I'll give him a follow on Twitter at WPG Marat and check out his latest in the pages of the Athletic. There's our good friend Murata Tesh. Um, I had a great chance to uh, pop into uh, Trevor Knott last night, uh, along with our old buddy Russ Romanek at the game and a little hockey talk in between periods. Uh, but then, of course, I said I'm looking forward to seeing that new Milt Stiegel commercial that they did. And I can't tell you, we will debut it here before it runs on NFL football coming up in the next few days. We're going to get a copy of it first and show it for you. It was fun getting down to the uh, the Not HQ, which is unbelievable to film that sucker a couple weeks back. Uh, of course, if you're looking for a new vehicle, don't go anywhere before you check out Not Auto Corp. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? You can visit them in person at Waverly and McGilvery or check them out online at not.ca. Uh, our friends Nick and Nikki are, they continue to just raise the game over at their DQs. Of course, they've got DQ Neverville, the DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and their newest DQ St. Anne's. Now, DQ St. Anne's, for anyone out in St. Patel, knew that that was always a seasonal store, no longer under the management of Nick and Nikki. It is now officially staying open year round and will be available on Skip the Dishes and DoorDash throughout the winter. So, uh, you're in the middle of uh, you know an NFL watching session and you really feel like a uh, ultimate grill burger in a blizzard, 
and you'll be able to get on the app and get it direct to you. Um, of course, if you're looking for a cake for a party or whatnot, DQ Manitoba on Instagram, you can order in advance. They'll have it ready for you at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. And right now, great deal as well. Two double cheeseburgers, seven bucks at your local Dairy Queen. And uh, Friday is the day. Our next marble race brought to you with our friends at Canadian Club. I do believe Miller Time is uh, popping by after the show today to pick up his I Love Rye package, including the great taste of Canadian Club. Bomber game Saturday night. Weather looks like it's going to actually be gorgeous for early November. We'll take it. uh, And we'll probably also take a couple of CCs with ginger or maybe Pepsi at the game. You can get Canadian Club everywhere, along with Northern Keep, Brugal Rum, Jim Beam. It's all there as the official spirits of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And you can also pick up the great taste of CC at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. And we'll be doing another marble race on game day Friday coming up, heading into the weekend for your next chance to win one of those co-branded CC and Winnipeg Sports Talk hoodies. All right. Uh, great conversations. Talking puck with both Greg Wyshynski and Murata Tesh. Let's get Remus back in here to continue the conversation. And, uh, Remo, I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Um, of course, unfortunate that you know you got to choose between bomber game and jet game. Uh, Islanders always a cool, cool visiting team. Barry Trotz, very popular in these parts. But that game on Friday, as Marat mentioned, um, it's certainly not going to diminish the spotlight on both of these teams going into Friday. Um, and hey, that's just part of the uh, the world we're living in and the situation that they're in. Uh, but for the Winnipeg Jets, another opportunity to, uh, you know, maybe beat up on a team that has been struggling and then get ready for one of their top tests of the season, which will be the Islanders at home on Saturday night. Yeah, Chicago, uh, they did win a game and they did have a lead. That was last week against Toronto. It yeah. had been so long. Patrick Kane came back uh, Monday had a hat trick. Good for my fantasy team. I had him on IR last week. So uh, we will see maybe Seth Jones. Um, not. And it's going to be tough to live up to that contract, but doesn't mean. Hey, he's, he's got eight points. I was just it, checking my draft team. I told you mm-hmm. beforehand. He's actually getting it done. I mean, they're. You know, I, I think that everything happening around this hockey club has really affected them. I did see online there were some, you know, more statements today from Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, both sort of you know, expressing some remorse that they didn't speak and focus more on Kyle Beach when they had their first statements, more on some of the people that were leaving the organization. Um, So again, yeah, this still will continue to be a big story heading into the weekend. Uh, But for the Blackhawks, it's funny you mentioned that game against the Leafs dream because, of course, that was at the time where, I mean, Toronto and the Maple Leafs nation was absolutely losing it. They lost four straight games with a couple of embarrassing, embarrassing performances and they go up against the Blackhawks, who had yet to have a lead. Uh, the Hawks go up 2-0. Leafs end up coming back, tying it, and winning it in, I can't remember if it was overtime or a shootout, but a very non-convincing win. And and I likened, that was sort of the way I felt watching the Chiefs on Monday night. I mean, yeah, they got the win, but you kind of, you know, just, you'll take the two points, but there was nothing that inspired confidence uh, from from it. And you know, so they beat Chicago, they beat Detroit, they beat up on a diminished uh, Vegas team last night. So they are getting the wins right now, and it's turned the temperature down a little bit. Not so sure about where the Leafs are, and uh, we'll have to wait until the 5th of December for the Leafs to come town. town. I know everyone's bent about the fact that these games are on at the same time. Uh, that is going to be a hell of a Sunday remote, December 5th, starting it off at IG Field at 3 p.m. for the West Final with the Bombers. 
And uh, whoever comes out of that West semi for a trip to the Grey Cup and uh, finish up the game and uh, get on transit or grab a ride or whatever and get down to the rink uh, for what's always a raucous night when the Leafs Nation comes to Winnipeg. Yeah, I think all whenever uh, original six teams come, but Leafs, always a lot of Leaf fans and maybe some of the Jet fans who go to the Bomber game, you know, go to, uh, you know, selling their tickets to Leaf fans. We will see. Well, I don't know. We'll never know. But it is interesting about uh, attendance. How many were at the Jets game last night? Like, just was it uh, just under 14,000, as someone said here? Yeah, I didn't see what the number was, but I mean, I can tell you, I've got a pretty good view of, um, and I was very interested to see how many empty seats we'd have early on in the season. And this is not just a Winnipeg thing. It's happening all around. My God, I saw somebody in Toronto tweet out that the Leafs, for the first time literally ever, I think the tweet was, hell has officially frozen over, um, putting out discounted ticket packages um, for a number of the games coming up over the course of the next month or so. Save 20%. I mean, there's no more expensive ticket in the league than in Toronto. And, you know, they, for a long time, have just sort of said, you know, it doesn't matter. We'll charge as much as we want. It has totally priced out the average fan. And I think that's really biting them right now and some other teams. As far as the Jets crowd go, those, I mean, certainly they lost some season tickets. And I'm not sure what the number of Jet fans that aren't vaccinated, that aren't able to get in, or that gave up seats because of that. Very hard to pinpoint. Um, but it was a pretty solid crowd last night. I mean, we're not talking about massive sections open. You have a couple rows and a couple pockets and a few spots. Um, but overall, the crowd's been okay. And that hasn't been the case in a lot of other places in the league this year, Reem. And I know that hasn't been a huge story, but I think it will be as we go forward. Um, you know, for all the talk about the cap going up and all the HRR and all the revenue, if people aren't buying tickets or the tickets are just too expensive and it's squeezing out a big part of your fan base, that's going to affect that revenue at the end. And that's going to eventually hit the players as well because of the shared nature of the CBA. Yeah, I think this is, uh, this is something for all sports uh, to watch. I mean, attendance across the NHL, very down. And we've seen Leafs uh, you know, struggling to sell tickets. Um, you know, the Atlanta Falcons did this a couple of years ago where they just made all concessions like super, super cheap and they sold more. And you look at Seattle coming out with their concessions in the first game when we were laughing about it on here, but I think there was some backlash and they have, uh, lowered prices. So I wonder if we're going to be seeing some of that or much more ways to entice fans. But I think that is a bit of a side story of, uh, of the season for sure. Well, I'm glad you brought that up with concessions because, I mean, I know and I've been critical at times about the way that, the, I mean, I kind of felt for a while as a season ticket holder the last few years that, you know, the support of many of us was sort of taken for granted. There was a lot of things that just got chipped away and diminished over the course of the years. Um, and I think that they've heard loud and clear. Um, and there's been some things for season ticket holders to really thank them for their service. And I'll tell you what, this, I don't know if you can see that right there. I'll stick my... uh I don't know whether we need a number on it, but uh, there you have it. The concession discount card. So all season ticket holders this year uh, get a card, 25% off beer, draft beer, domestic beer. I know you've tried to get some import or something. I tried to get a craft beer and And they're like, no, it's domestic only. I'm like, guys, but it's made domestically. Come on. (laughs) Give me me my 25% off this beer. It was was the best beer I've ever had at an arena though. (laughs) Fountain drinks, popcorn, and water. I mean, not everything, um, but I'll tell you what, it, it's nice. And if you're out there for a night and having a few beers, it'll probably uh, 
you know, save you, uh, pay for your Uber ride home afterwards. Make sure you're doing that safely. So um, anyways, I've been impressed with that. I've seen a lot of people using it upstairs, at least in the 300s or regular faces that I know are season tickets. So, um, you know, maybe that'll help them sell a few more going forward because it certainly is a nice little perk. And speaking of perks, Reem, you know, there's a lot of a lot of fun that was had with the toques that came out in game number one. I guess that was Canada life. The scarfs in game number two, the Scotiabank scarf night were awesome. And I was just noticing that St. Louis game next Tuesday night, another great giveaway. It is the Heritage License Plate Keychain giveaway. Oh. I definitely want to get one of those. They look really cool. I'm going to that game. I want one. That That's a sweet giveaway. I need a good keychain. Uh, I can never have too many. I got some stuff that I need to uh, you know, put keys on. So I think that'll be pretty good. Yeah, there is a there's a famous one, a Jets 1.0 keychain, a game against the Los Angeles Kings. I can't remember if it was supposed to be the last game or it was yeah, the ticket keychain. If anyone wants to yeah. sell me one of those, uh, I'll buy it off them. I really want that. That was the coolest <laughs> thing back in yeah. 1996, that Jets <laughs> final ticket keychain. So uh, I've seen them available. I think I didn't buy one, but if anyone's in Winnipeg wants to sell one, I'll buy it. I wouldn't mind to get one uh, there. Um Let's see. So uh, we got to get to a few things. There's a lot of news in the National Football League I do want to get to. Let's first, though, get to the cool bet lines for tonight. See what's going on in the National Hockey League uh, for this evening's action. I'm going to fire it up again. Coolbet.com is the place to go. Uh, if you haven't bet there before, you can use the promo code WST and you'll get a, a 100% bonus. We'll double it up to $200 on your initial deposit. Uh, four games tonight in the NHL. The Blackhawks are at home before heading to Winnipeg for Friday night's game against the Jets. They are one plus 134 underdogs taken on the Carolina Hurricanes, who've had a great start to the season. Uh, the Nashville Predators, who spoiled my parlay last night against the Calgary Flames, winning in OT. I think Matt Duchesne got the winner. Uh, they're playing on the second end of back-to-backs, and they're going up against the uh, Beasts of the Pacific so far this season, the Edmonton Oilers, with just one loss in the year. Oilers, huge favorite, minus 222. Nashville, plus 185. Oilers on the puck line, which I might sprinkle on, to win by two, plus 115. Blue Jackets and Avalanche going at it. Great start this year for Elvis Merzlikens. The CBJ and Patrick Line, a plus 148. Avalanche, a home favorite of minus 175. And those St. Louis Blues playing their eighth game of the season, tied at the top of the division, but with two games in hand on the Jets. They're minus 143 favorites as they go to L.A. to take on the Kings, who've had a pretty tough start. Kings plus 122. Four games on the board, Remo. If you're putting a nickel down on one, where are you going? Um, I usually am a proc guy. I was actually doing a DraftKings lineup uh during this and uh, there was some interesting notes for me um who is it uh, is ranting in out so comfer's on the top line i don't know what comfer props are but if i had to pick a team uh i'm going with the blues you know the kings uh they're hurting i think the blues have been hot i'm gonna you know minus 143 uh i do like uh i do like the blues as the favorite but uh i know Na- i know nashville's won four in a row but yeah, I they just played. Gonna, la- they played last night. But if you want to, they wanna... played last night. They're in a different time zone as well. They're well, over they, the mountain. They time played zone. against Calgary yesterday, and they won in overtime. 
Um, so, so they're actually technically are in the same time zone, but a different time zone. I just mean different Nashville. from, you know, from Nashville. From I mean, everything's, Nashville. everything's off. Um, anyways, I think I'm going to take the Oilers minus one and a half at plus mm-hmm. 115. Uh, tomorrow's game in the National Football League is on the board and it's still 10 and a half. Colts, 10 and a half point favorites. And of course the Jets with the great story, Mike White. You know that he was the leading passer last week, Reem, in the uh, in the NFL in his first ever start going for 400 yards. I uh, saw some guy that laid a hundred. I don't know how you'd have to be insane to do this. 125 bucks on Mike White to be the leading passer in week eight. And it cashed. I think it was like 200 to one or something like that. So a nice, nice payout on that. Um, The other game, and we're going to get to this right away. I'm just looking to see if it's on the board still. It is not the chiefs and the Packers because we the big story today. There's a bunch and one, a horrible one out of the NFL, which we'll get to, but Aaron Rodgers is out for the week uh, out for Sunday as the Packers travel to Arrowhead to take on the uh, take on Kansas city. And what is so crazy about this story is that Aaron Rodgers had, um, he, he was asked about his vaccination status and a, a replied affirmatively and said, yes, I've been immunized. There's guys on the team that haven't been vaccinated. I think it's a personal decision. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge those guys, but, uh, if you thought that when he said, oh, yeah, I've been immunized, meant that he'd been vaccinated, apparently not. He's out a minimum of 10 days, can't return until the following Saturday. And now, I mean, it's just the the amount of stuff going back and forth. Mike Florio's on the warpath uh, on it, a bunch of people. Because for a leader that has caused so much drama, um, for this to happen, to miss a big game against the Chiefs with them you know, tied for first in the NFC, uh, a massive story and one that certainly begs a lot more questions from the franchise quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, considering what he's been saying all along and the way he's been essentially, I think, ignoring most of the COVID protocols and rules for unvaccinated players, which he apparently is. Yeah, I, I saw some reports that inside he was wearing a mask and some, you know, some people aren't sure. I'm shocked that this um, hadn't been reported before. I think he was on the sidelines in preseason, not wearing a mask, which I think is allowed for unvaccinated players. But I mean, this is worse than, um, I mean, I mean, talk about Cole Beasley, at least he comes out and he owns that. He's yeah, not he vaccinated. Owned it. He, owned he owned it. it. Lamar Jackson owned it. Cam Newton owned it. I mean, this deceptive, uh, misleading statements. I mean, he's up, uh, he's in Ev- Evander Kane territory here. Huss, um, you know, lying about this. Well, I did mean, he have like the McLovin ID? I mean, did the, he have like the fake the fake Vax card or something like that? I, I, I don't think he had a fake card. I think he's just evasive when people asked him, and I don't know how it didn't. Maybe people aren't inside. It's shocking that a a guy would. Um, I guess it isn't shocking, but it's you know you hear a guy who's supposed to be a leader on his team. You know, I guess he just cares so much Huss, about his image that he would lie about this. I'm curious to hear what he has to say. Um, you know, going forward, but just it seems like not not smart thing to do, and it's not going to help uh, his public his public image that apparently he cares so so much about, according to uh, Pro Football Talks, Mike Florio. Oh, well, I think we all do. You know, he hates to be criticized, and he gets a little uh, bent out of shape when he is, and he's going to be taking a lot of criticism for this. Here's from Ian Rappaport: Aaron Rodgers received 
homeopathic treatment from his personal doctor to raise his antibody levels and asked the NFL to review his status. The NFL, the NFLPA, and joint docs ruled him as, as unvaccinated. Now he has COVID-19. Um, and again, we're not making light of you know COVID. This has just gone through the Winnipeg Jets. But I mean, the way that Aaron Rodgers presented himself and sold himself as a vaccinated player now isn't and won't be there for a very important game for the Green Bay Packers. Um, Listen, there's going to be some aftermath for that. But the other thing, Reem, and again, as a Chiefs fan, I'm more than happy to take a game against the Packers without Aaron Rodgers. But that's just my own personal selfishness. Want to get my team to get their act together and start looking like a team that can be in the playoffs. What is fascinating, though, when you consider the back and forth between the Packers and Rodgers and everything that happened, the entire soap opera over the course of the offseason, which led to him coming back and then refusing to trade him, is that Jordan Love is going to get an opportunity to start for the Green Bay Packers in a very important game. And I think back to the 2017 season, I guess, or maybe 2018 season, the Chiefs clinched a playoff spot, final game of the year. Pat Mahomes got the start, and Alex Smith sat out. Smith, of course, then went in for the playoffs. But it was absolutely clear that Patrick Mahomes was ready to be the guy in Kansas City after just one start. He ended up getting that starting job next year and became the league's MVP. Um, I think there is a lot on the table for the Packers and certainly for Jordan Love with this opportunity to start that Aaron Rodgers has essentially turned over on a silver platter. And I mean, if he's terrible, it certainly helps Aaron Rodgers situation going forward and the leverage he has with the football team. However, if he's fantastic, it's either the potential maybe of trading Rodgers goes up or the fact that Jordan Love becomes an asset that maybe they do move on from. Although, I think the plan all along was to uh, groom Love to take over after Aaron Rodgers. You just wonder that where that will be. A lot to unpack from this whole thing. And uh, yes, just another wacky NFL story in the midst of uh, the COVID pandemic. Yeah, I mean, the Aaron Rodgers thing is uh, it's just so, so dumb. And um, sadly, it has... And I don't want to move on here. Not the dumbest thing or the saddest NFL uh, news coming out here in the last uh, well, in the last twenty four hours. Um, you know, we kind of did this. Get to Henry Ruggs. Yeah, you want me just want to just get to this here? Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, we did it last month with Kenny Lawler. Just talked about how stupid. You know, there's not more much more we can add. And drunk driving is stupid. And if you're an athlete like Henry Ruggs, I mean, how easy is it in 2021 to pull up an app and get a car? But to be driving 153 miles per hour drunk and kill someone, um, I feel extremely horrible for the family and sad. And it's just very sad. It's just unnecessary. It doesn't need to happen. There's not much more. 23-year-old woman. 23-year-old yeah. woman dead. Uh, for, now former Raiders receiver Henry Ruggs. He has been released by the club. Um, he's not playing probably ever again in the National Football League. Hell, he's probably going to be in jail for a lengthy period of time. Um, he has been or is will be charged with DUI, um, causing homicide. He was driving at 156 miles per hour, uh, and when the airbag went off, he was still going 127 miles per hour. Um, I mean, just reckless, dangerous criminal. Um, and you know he's killed someone. His career is over. Uh, his girlfriend's in the hospital. 
Um, I'm not even going to say, oh, this is a cautionary tale. I mean, this is just another example of why uh, it's a terrible decision. And in some cases, luckily, the incident with Kenny Lawler here, um, you know, didn't lead to anybody getting hurt. Um, but the reason why these laws are in place is because often that does happen. When you combine liquor with bad judgment, speed, people die. And that's what happened last night. Career, Ruggs' career is dead, but a young woman at 23 years old, I believe her dog is well dead. It's just a, an absolutely horrible, horrible story. Um, but we can pretty much write off Henry Ruggs for any NFL conversations going forward. He'll be in the crime section of the newspaper, not the sports section anytime. Yeah, exactly. People are going, that's like 250 kilometers an yeah. hour. Um, you I, know, wouldn't just, feel, I wouldn't feel comfortable driving that sober. Us. I mean, let alone after no. a couple beverages. Like, that's that's ridiculous. Well, I mean, so. yeah, it's a whole nother story about, mm. you know, uh, hardos that, you know, want to flex on uh, city streets and drag race people. I mean, that's mm. uh, that's stupidity beyond um, my pay grade. But when you add in drinking and driving, um, yeah. you know, the, the results are horrible. And this is the worst case scenario. Uh, but you know, 156 miles an hour, even to your point, Remo, even without being drunk, incredibly stupid, incredibly reckless and dangerous, can cut off an end and people done. So um, so that that was the horrible story coming out of the National Football mm-hmm. League. The biggest story is Aaron Rodgers. But Remo, we're also seeing there was a bit of drama yesterday. Odell Beckham Jr.'s father, Odell Beckham Sr., went on Twitter, taking a few shots at Baker Mayfield for not getting his kid the ball. Baker Mayfield's wife then went and started liking a bunch of tweets that were pumping up Baker and um, maybe not too pleasant for Odell. Odell Beckham, healthy, told, don't bother showing up to practice today. It sounds like Kevin Stefanski and his agent working on something that uh, may simply just cut him loose going forward. Um, Addition by subtraction, I guess, is what the Cleveland Browns are thinking about. Bottom line is, for a guy that was one of the top receivers and a high price was paid to get him to Cleveland, really just hasn't panned out. You can blame the quarterback. You can blame the offense. You can blame the receiver. It hasn't been working out. And with Odell Beckham, if he's not getting into the end zone or he's not productive on the field, there's too much noise in and around him for uh, him, I think, to be a positive part of your football team. Yeah, and I don't think the Giants have missed him at all. I think Sterling Shepard, who replaced him, has better numbers than than OBJ uh, since since the trade. And I think he's, yeah, he seems to be a, a guy who's a pain in the ass. He's not that good anymore. Um, you know, they have other guys. Jarvis Landry, he's coming back. He's I think he's pretty good. And I think the Browns are a solid team, and this guy's just annoying to deal with. So move on. Let's Enough OBJ. And the trade deadline passed, nothing happened. So I guess your only option would be just to cut him and say bye-bye. Well, and I'm just seeing Mike Silver uh, reporting that Kevin Stefanski, Brown's head coach, told his players that Odell Beckham Jr. is essentially not on the team right now and that the wide receiver has been told to stay at home. So uh, I guess you never say never about anything, but if you've got Odell on your fantasy team, probably save to either cut him or at least don't even think about starting him coming up for this weekend. We did mention NFL action is tomorrow. Jets and Colts to kick off Thursday night. All right, Reem, before we finish up the program today. Yeah, I, I do got to say, we do have some uh, hockey news just before we just finish up. Uh, Ryan Rashog did report that Brad Aldridge's name has been X'd out of the Stanley Cup. It was done on Sunday 
when they added the lightning theme. So that was pretty quick. No-brainer decision. W- well done. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, although I believe that, you know, the, the hall was sort of dragging their feet on that for a little while. But now with everything that's happened, the sooner the better. Yeah, um, no when it comes to Sorry to, to, sorry to inter- the, interrupt, but people mentioned it. No, no, no. That's, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because we mm. were just going to sort of, Rick, we're going to transition over. A um, couple CFL notes. First of all, uh, Zach Caleros getting some more uh, some more plot, uh, plaudits and congratulations from the league. Another Performer of the Week award for the Blue Bomber QB. Yeah, and they posted his numbers. Um, you know, I thought, you know, Zach Caleros was good, but I didn't think, um, you know, he hadn't, to start the year, Huss, he had a slow start. I mean, he hadn't thrown for a lot of 300-yard passing games. And, you know, it was kind of the defense uh, getting a lot of it done. But since... Since then, especially in October, I mean, he was he was awesome. I'm trying to pull it up here, but I can't find it. I've got it right here. So yeah. Caleros right now is leading the CFL with 2,832 yards. He's got 18 touchdowns and six picks. Mike Riley's second in passing, 2,613 yards. So Caleros has got 220 yards on Mike Riley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riley's 13-5 and five interception picks. And then Cody Fajardo is at 2,484 so a good 350 back. You know, I've been talking about this ever since the start of the year. Caleros somehow was the lowest ranked quarterback on the preseason odds to lead the league in passing. He was 13 to one. We got in on that. But my fear right now, I mean, all things being equal, if they're going to all play the final three games of the season, feeling pretty good about Caleros with over 200 yard cushion over Mike Riley. I am petrified, though, that at least one of those games he doesn't start, and that gives the opportunity for a guy like Riley or Fajardo to make up big, big gains in one week. Yeah, I'm, I mean, Mike Riley, I mean, since he played the Bombers, hasn't been the same. Lucky Whitehead's back. I think that'll help. But here's the I was going to pull it up. Uh, Caleros in October, 4-0 record, 75 of 104 passing, 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns, two picks. I mean, he's been efficient. Uh, he hasn't turned the ball over, maybe a cu- couple in the end zone you'd like to have back, but only two in October. So player of the month, making an MOP case, us too. I know Darren's been beating that drum and you know, we've been here, which player on the defense is going to be, is going to be Jefferson, you know, big Hill, Jeffco, but I think, uh, Zach Claris, man, he's been, I think, man, he's been ad advertised, maybe, maybe even, uh, even better. So it's been awesome since, you know, great to watch a guy who can throw it deep, you know, make plays uh, on the run for the Bombers at quarterback. We haven't had this uh, for a while. And going for back-to-back, the favorite right now for back-to-back great cups. It's crazy. You got it. Uh, Trevor Harris uh, will start for the Alouettes on Saturday here. And uh, he's probably like, are you kidding me? I get traded to a new team and I've got to play that Bomber defense again. Mm-hmm. Trevor, come on down to Winnipeg again and uh, see if you can have a better result than the last few trips for your former team, the Elks. Um and Rima, we got to talk about it. I mean, I know this is the first time ever I've been less um, into the World Series and the baseball playoffs than at any point in probably my life. Um, of course, I was at the game last night, but afterwards went and tuned in and the Atlanta Braves do it. They beat the Houston Astros. They win it. And honestly, it is an incredible story. A huge, huge victory for former Jays boss Alex Anthopoulos, Canadian. Great story. Um, for a team, 88 wins on the season, a team that was out of the playoffs at the trade deadline, and potentially, I think, actually under 500, made so many moves without some of their top players, a big underdog going into the World Series, 
and they beat the Astros and they get it done. And uh, I, I think everyone, if you didn't have any skin in the game, you were just hoping to see the Astros lose. Yeah, I said, uh, I hate the Red Sox, hate the Astros. I don't want to watch these teams. Uh, you know, the Braves, I like all the Braves. Freddie Freeman's been around for a while. Um, you know, their manager apparently has been with the Braves for like 45 years or something. And uh, I know Ron Washington's been in baseball. He's a coach with their team. The Wash. But, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of the top players in baseball. Gets hurt. And he went out double uh, A. And who did he get? Like Adam Duvall. Who did he get? Jorge Soler, one of those. Eddie Rosario. Jock Peterson. I mean, you, you lose your top guy, and they just replaced him with a bunch of different guys. Rosario got hot for a bit. Um, you know, Soler mashed one out of the stadium. Dude, Soler's yesterday. bomb last night. And mm-hmm. this is a guy, I kind of paid close attention to him. He came over to the Royals from the Cubs in uh, the Wade Davis trade, um, you know, when the Royals were sort of selling off after winning the World Series. Uh, and, you know, he hit a uh, 44. Five homers, I believe, it was an all-time record for a Royal player, which was beaten this year by the incredible Salvador Perez. Uh, but he was picked up by the Braves. And, dude, that I, I retweeted it last night. He hit the ball out of the stadium last night. I mean, one of the most insane bombs you will ever see. And to do it in the World Series, um, very, very cool. But the way this team was put together, as you mentioned, I mean, five trades, significant trades, during the season to try to prop the team up. Um, big questions about the bullpen, even the pitching, and they got it done, beating a team that was a pretty heavy favorite on paper going in, and uh, I'm here for it. Great to see, and a nice end to the season, and we certainly don't have to be talking about the Astros as world champions again with an I told you so celebration tour. Yeah, a lot of people didn't want to see them win, and you know, the Braves had a number of uh, great Great young pitcher as well. Max Freed, I saw getting a ton of props online. I think Canadian uh, Mike Soroka, I don't believe that he's been, you know, been healthy. But, uh, no. yeah, good for them. I mean, kind of redeems all the ones they lost in the 90s, right? Doesn't it? <laughs> nah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know that it does. They had the one. Yeah, they probably they, should they have won. won about four or five. Yeah. I mean, they were winning that division every year for 12 years and then having a big, big disappointment at some point in the playoffs. Uh, But anyways, they did get it done. Uh, Hey, one more funny story before we end. This will be a fun way to end the program today, Reem. Last night at the game, and I'm interested in the chat for anyone else that was at the game. Did you see the, the, the promotion last night, the higher or lower? I believe it's a Manitoba Lotteries a lotteries promo, maybe the biggest screw job in the history of arena promos. And uh, balls, Kyle Ball Harry, who we've had on the program before, doing a great job. I'm not sure whether this was his doing or someone else on his staff, but this, I, I, man, I, this is what happened. You have you start off with the player's jersey number, and you guess like higher or lower, essentially over or under. For each one, and you need to get five right. Well, I guess four right because so I think they started with Adam Lowry, 17. The guy takes over. It goes to 88. Next one is Ed Nate Schmidt. Guy chooses under. Mark Shifley is 55. Okay, great. Next one, I'm going to go under again. Perfect. Dylan DeMello, number two. Obviously, they take over the fifth jersey. Eric Comrie, one. 
maybe the biggest screw job in the history of arena promo, certainly in Jets 2.0. I still can't believe they did that. I certainly hope they still gave him the prize. Yes, eyeliner peanut. I assume they did. I hope they did because the look on the guy's face when the Comrie jersey came up was absolutely priceless. And the fans, it, the, everyone noticed they did go quite nuts, dude. It's amazing the people in chat, uh, Shixer, that was a bad beat extraordinaire. Yes. <laughs> people think <laughs> it should have. I can't believe they did that. I mean, just because the odds, you know, are in favor of it being higher than two doesn't mean it's pos- not possible to land on you one. Imagine if he took under. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how they, you know, how those games work, but um, it's kind of. I mean, that, that is def- definitely a bad beat in terms of percentages. There he is. The Canada Life Center screw job. Yeah, it good. absolutely was. I laughed so hard. Hopefully the guy got hooked up. But uh, certainly a memorable moment from uh, from last night. There was many. I mean, yesterday was, uh, mm-hmm. was a heavy day earlier on. It was nice to get the two points for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, but, of course, the huge story was the uh, press conference for Shovel Dayoff and Mark Chipman. Uh, I do hope that a lot of great positives come out of this. I do hope change comes out of this. I hope uh, victims are helped. And most importantly, we prevent people from being victimized again. Um, And I hope we're able to get back to a spot where we're spending a heck of a lot more time talking about the X's and O's and what's happening on the ice. Of course, the Jets back on the practice ice tomorrow and then hosting the Blackhawks on Friday night and the New York Islanders on Saturday. We'll also have more on the Bombers coming up in the next couple of days as they get ready to get back on the field after the bye week and much more. I um, do want to thank everyone that joined us live on YouTube. If you haven't already, hit that thumbs up button and please make sure that you've subscribed. It's the red subscribe button. We're here every day at 1 p.m. And of course, a big thanks to all of our sponsors, including Princess Auto, Little Brown Jug, Boston Pizza, Royal Sports, Manitoba Battery, Culligan Water, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club, uh, Canadian Club Whiskey, Boston Pizza, and our betting partner, Cool Bet Canada. New episode of The Lock Shop coming up on Friday as well. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Thanks to Greg Wyshynski. Thanks to Murata Tesh. And thanks to all of you for making Winnipeg Sports Talk a part of your day. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon here on WST. Oh, my God. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.